also, in my Expendables screening, I was sitting next to a pair of Expendables. These guys, like, during the movie, we always, like, joke about how people talk during the movies. These guys, like, anytime something was, like, happening or about to happening, these guys would just be like, oh, if that was me, I'd just, I'd slit her throat. I'd slit her throat. That's what I do. I'd just <laughs> slit her throat. Oh, if that was, if that if I was in that situation, I would just punch his face in. That's hilarious. And I was like, oh my god, like, I'm sitting, I'm like sitting next to people that are actually more violent and like unhinged than all this like crazy stuff I'm seeing on, on this movie. Like this movie, these are the craziest people in the world. And I'm sitting next to people who think they're being too like, you know, calm and forgiving. Welcome to another episode of the Screen Rant Underground, the official podcast of ScreenRant.com. My name is Ben Kendrick, and joining me this week is the rest of the editorial team. I'm Rob Keys. I'm Anthony Ocasio. And I'm the awake version of Kofi Outlaw. As usual, we're going to start with our news segment, where we discuss some of the hottest movie and TV news stories we've covered this past week. Next, we'll move into our rants and rave segment, where we rant or rave about the movies and television shows we've had a chance to check out since our last episode. Then, we'll finish up with a discussion of The Expendables 2, starring Sylvester Stallone, Jason Statham, and a cast of vintage action icons. Also, if you're a gamer, be sure to stick around after the review for our Game Rant News Brief, an epilogue to the show where we tease some of the news and feature content we'll be publishing at our sister site, GameRant.com, in the coming week. First up this week, sad news. We're not really going to talk about this, but we did sort of want to touch on it really quickly. Um, director Tony Scott, brother of Ridley Scott and founding partner in Scott Free Productions, committed suicide yesterday. Um, we're recording this, obviously, on Monday. There's still a lot of details that are kind of coming in. It sounds like it's going to be a little while before we you know, find out exactly what was going on. There were conflicting reports that he had been diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. Now it's starting to sound as though that is not the case. Um, but, you know, I think we can all say that our hearts go out to the families and friends and anybody who's a Tony Scott movie fan, you know, so we're sort of keeping everybody in our thoughts. And, you know, obviously we're big movie fans. Films like Top Gun, definitely. Days of Thunder. Yeah. Oh, Numbers. <laughs> Man on yeah. Fire. Domino? Hey? No, I'm just kidding. I don't like that one. No. No. Numbers made me think that I knew about math. Yeah. Man on Fire, I saw when I was working in a movie theater right out of college. I had to watch it so many times, and it was crazy. I love that movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. I, was, I have yeah. no idea what movie you're talking about. Really? Man on Fire with Denzel Washington, Dakota Fanning. Oh, shit. That movie was crazy. And um, the other Tony Scott mentioned True Romance. Absolutely got to mention True Ram, True Romance. Yep. Yeah, definitely. I was I tweeted about it last night when I first found out. But I mean, I was literally on Saturday night trading Top Gun quotes back and forth with a friend of mine at a bar for like 15 minutes. Um, so you know, definitely a hugely impactful director. And you know, again, our our thoughts definitely go out to you know anybody who's mourning him today. And we'll we'll kind of. You know, be following that coverage on the site. I just like how Ben inserted the fact that he shared Top Gun, gun quotes for 15 minutes with another dude in a piece that we didn't get to attack it. Yeah, I know. I was actually thinking that exact same thing. 
I was like, normally I would ridicule the fucking shit out of that, but I was like, it's just not appropriate right now. Yeah. Yep. I just got to throw out things like that, you know, when I'm safeguarded, for sure. We're going to have to trick you into say mentioning that again. <laughs> like, as I was saying, guys, I traded quotes for 15 minutes with another dude about Top Gun. Our first official news story that we're going to talk about in detail, um, it's Expendables 2 Day here at the Screen Rant Underground podcast, so... What better story to kick us off than talks of female Expendables films? Yeah, Gotta Milk the Franchise, and that's what uh, producer Adi Shankar is planning to do. He is a kind of newcomer to Hollywood. He worked on Main Street, which is a film I talked about uh, like months ago on the Ransom Raves with Orlando Bloom. But more recently, he has uh, worked with Machine Gun Preacher, The Grey, which we liked a lot, and the upcoming Dread 3D, which a few of us saw that and liked that as well. Uh, he is apparently in talks with a bunch of female action stars to put together his own version. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. First of all, they're stealing our ideas. Yes. Well, I was going to lead to that. So... Was that Paul's idea who put that together for us? We, oh, we, two, yes, it was. Yeah, it was yeah, so two years ago when the first Expendables came out, Paul Young for Scream Out put together this neat post with what would the female version of this be? And he put together this brilliant little post with, I think, 15? How many people did he put on it? Maybe 10? He put together an entire I think header. He put, yeah, I think he put together a member for each member in the Expendables. That's right. So it had like Michelle Rodriguez, Mila Jovovich, uh, you know, Lucy Lawless, and, and funny enough, Lucy Lawless, of all the people, is actually apparently one of the people there in talks for for this film, which is being dubbed Expendables, uh, B-E-L-L-E-S. But we don't know what it's actually going to be called. But same idea. It would be a group of female mercenaries going crazy with gore and violence on a bunch of people for money. So, uh, And I, it wouldn't be part of the same franchise, so it wouldn't infringe on any of you know, Sly Stallone's ideas. But uh, some of the interesting names that came up were Jennifer Garner, you know, we know from Alias and, and Ben Affleck, as Anthony will point out. Uh, Summer Glau and Lena Headey. Uh, Lena Headey, of course, he's working with for Dread, the upcoming Dread 3D. And Summer Glau worked with her on the Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles TV show. And some classics, too, like Bridget Nielsen from Red Sonja and Cynthia Rothrock from Undefeatable. So uh, at this point, it's just talk. There's nothing confirmed. There's nothing remit. There is no casting, no director, no anything. But it's an idea that uh, they're running with for the moment. So uh, can this work? And will it have more... It doesn't need more star power and a big budget to compete with what Stallone's doing. Oh, so the list that Paul put together was Angelina Jolie, uh, Michelle Rodriguez. Who's Rothrock? Hold on. Yeah, that's that's actually one of the person. Um, Cynthia Rothrock. From oh, Undefeated. Cynthia Rothrock. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's Michelle Yeoh, um, Sigourney Weaver, Mia Jovovich, Vivica Fox, Lucy Lawless, and Linda Hamilton. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, I should also add like. When they were talking about this idea, like the first names that came up were Angelina Jolie and Helen Mirren, just because of their star power. And, and uh, well, I guess after Red, you could consider Helen Mirren sort of an action star, but more Angelina Jolie than anything, just to get some star power in there. But yeah, Paul actually nailed three or four of these names if, if this comes to fruition. So uh, good for him. <laughs> good for him. That should bode well for our article, Classic Expendables. <laughs> we put a, so look yeah, for I mean, that movie coming to a theater in like four years to you. But you yep. also got like new additions now. Like you got to get um, Saldana. Saldana. Yeah, you yep. got to get her in there. Um, are there any new Asian action stars that we have? Yeah, well, they got Zhang Zi from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. That's yeah, that. yeah, she's all right. She's all right. I'm trying to think of any fresh faces. Uh, no. Uh, well, Summer Glau. Yeah, Summer, Summer Glau. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, we could have Yu Nan from The Expendables too. Not, yeah, not, that's, I'm just kidding. Was in, teams. 
If it was in continuity, you could do that, but it's not, so... <laughs> okay, Gina <laughs> Carano, you gotta get Carano in there. Yes. Oh, for sure, Gina Carano, yeah. Or, I think, I think that is, I'm gonna say something very sexist, you but I think this is a terrible idea. It's never gonna work. It's gonna be boring. Here's the reason why. Almost every guy in the Expendables is a monster. They could literally tear you apart. Most of these women that you listed for the expend of the woman's expendables are only powerful because we allow them to pretend that they are. Like I could beat the shit out of Xena Warrior Princess. I'm sorry, I've thought about this, and like <laughs> I could I could beat her up. I could do that. And I don't know about that. Jennifer Garner. Yeah, too. I, I doubt Jennifer it. Garner. If like if she got some size, I know that she could size the shit out of me. But like fist to fist, I think I could beat up Jennifer Garner. Yeah, yes. Side. I mean, most of these actresses have proven action, you know, action chops, whether it be with weapons or whatever. So I mean, this movie wouldn't be about fisticuffs with like two sixty-year-old men out of their prime on steroids fighting each other. This would be about ideally women using crazy weapons. They're mercenaries. They're not hand-to-hand. Yeah, it's also going to be different. It's going to be like more of like a spy vibe, sexy seduction, like beat the crap out of somebody occasionally. I think there'd be like more female spies or something like that. I think like I no. think, well, no, hold on. I think for me, like I think for me, like the problem isn't so much that like it wouldn't be interesting to see like a team of women like doing that kind of thing, except that the Expendables, like what works for the Expendables is that these people are like. 80s icons with like ridiculous one-liners that are all like totally acting super serious in the expendables but like we're all kind of laughing at how kind of out of touch with modern cinema they are right like i mean we're going to talk about the expendables too later today but i mean i don't think it's spoilers to say like there is really really some pretty terrible acting in it and that almost kind of adds to the appeal of it because it's just so kind of over the top and insane and like resting entirely on the explosions and just kind of how over the top it is to be successful. That's what like makes it fun is seeing all these kind of old guys like stepping back into these roles. Like I don't think that would be like as successful for a lot of the women that we're talking about because a significant amount of them like aren't even really that old. They're not 80s icons. They're like you know, 2000s or, like, late 90s icons or something like that. So it would have to be a totally different tone. And I don't know if I really care about seeing a movie like that, though. Well, okay, that's you can't say that until we see a trailer. I hate when people say that. Because it could be, like, eight or nine recognizable actresses who are, like, totally kicking ass. And, like, not like like Columbiana with Zoe Saldana, but something way better and more legitimate. Obviously, we can't say anything until we see the budget and who's directing. But, I mean, there's... Why not? Why not eight women with, with weapons who are like amazing assassins or something? You know what I mean? I'd be interested in that. Well, because I think that Kill Bill probably did awesome. it the best. Yeah, yeah, I know, but it did it the best. And Expendables is not going to do it the best. And even in Kill Bill, it got a little like, like Dude, this is wah. not like hard to imagine. You make a, It doesn't have to be the same... I think it would be dishonest to try to make a film that was exactly like The Expendables in the first place. I don't think that would be a service to women. I don't think women want to be just like a version of men with vaginas, like they're women. So it would be like a different sort of movie. And how the team dynamic works and how they like go about their things, they, I think they would use... Like I said, I would imagine this ended up being more like a, 
a film about highly trained like spies or assassins or something, but like people, you know, they're going to be using subterfuge and things like that in addition to kicking ass. Like it's going to be, you know, because you, you know, girls can play the honey pot and have like sex appeal in there, you know, and do that thing. I think it'll just be kind of more of a of an action like the movie like Salt. Like even the people we're talking about star in movies that are just not like all out kick-ass things it's about being smart and sexy at times and all this stuff and so that's what it's going to be like all together it's going to be like charlie's angels but not quite as goofy a little bit more bloody well, see, that's and what I, you know i guess that's what i was kind of wondering like my thoughts immediately run to like a bigger version a grittier version of charlie's angels right but but like what is like i still think the problem is that these people aren't like, most of these people aren't recognizable in the way that these people in The Expendables are. So then it loses, like, a ton of that sort of just, like, event film type thing. Then it's just a bigger version of sort of a female team-up movie, which, I mean, could be good. Like, I'm not disagreeing with that, but to sort of say it's the female version of The Expendables, like, that carries, like, a certain expectation in terms of like, the kind so. of people I think, that... if you, I think if you say it's The Expendables with hot chicks... The same crowd that goes to see The Expendables will rush to see that. Maybe. No way. Dude, guys are way too sexist for that. Okay, this is how the movie works. This is the counterpoint to Kofi's theory. It's going to be in space, bunch of hot chicks in space, monster attacks. They all get to be Sigourney Weaver. That's how you got to do it. Or Leprechaun. You bring Leprechaun back, Leprechaun in the Hood 3, that's it. I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about, but I, I stand by what I said before you went down this mad road. That it, it, it's just going to be like a grittier version of Charlie's Angels, and I think I don't think that's going to get like women to necessarily see it, but I, I definitely think that the crowd that sees The Expendables, if you said, now we're going to make The Expendables with hot chicks, you know, they'll run for that. Why not? I hope it's more serious than Charlie's Angels, though. I don't want it to be like a parody of itself. No, but, I, I think it'll be like a grittier version. I just, but I mean, like in terms of how they go about things, like, like the Expendables. What works as part of the Expendables is it's just an unabashed celebration of like male craziness and stupidity. Like it's every male fantasy, and we're talk about this when we get to the movie. But it literally is like, give me a big gun and let me blow a bunch of shit up, and like nobody can touch <laughs> me. And that's yeah, like the fundamental like thing about the Expendables, and. Uh, that you can't just translate genders on that and just slap that and be like, give a bunch of women a thing and be like, let me just blow a bunch of shit up. That's what I'm about. Big dick guns and shit like that. Like, yeah, I don't think we're going to see that. I don't know. I feel. Like, I don't know. I guess I feel like that then you're removing it so much. Like, you're kind of creating this dynamic where you're like, the same people are going to show up for that because they're hot, but it's going to be a totally different kind of movie. Like, I yeah. guess I don't know. Like, I feel like well, there's enough of a disconnect that trying to say it's this and it's that like creates like that's going to make for an awkward movie and so i'm saying yeah. like where's where's the sort of through line that creates you know where it's either not going to be at all like the expendables or it's going to be like like the expendables but in either of those cases like i don't know if that makes well, for a movie hang on. People I, see. I think when they're saying it's like the expendables i think they mean they're going to get a bunch of recognizable stars who are female they're going to be mercenaries and they're going to kill people that's the only comparison but it's made the by the style. same but it's made by the same guy who like you know we're talking about the same producer doing it that like did the expendables like that guy's like not going to put together wait, wait. is no, that we're not. what we're saying i thought no, it was the director isn't it yeah simon director. simon west who directed the second one maybe involved but it's the producer Adi shankar who's kind of pushing this that's what i well, said well he's drinking enough of the Kool-Aid yeah, Shankar not has nothing to do with either expendables film 
But here's the thing. When you say the female version of Expendables, it's hard to reach that gritty you know, bar that you're setting for because a lot of the Expendables is parody and it's goofy shit that you really couldn't get away with if you didn't have those names attached. And the Expendables for women are not going to have it. You can get Sigourney Weaver in there. She's pretty much the Expendable woman. Like, they need her. And what are they going to do? Just start rattling off, like, Ghostbusters quotes to her and she's like, there is no Zool. And stuff like that. Just... It's going to be weird. I don't think they're going to be able to pull it off. Like, I bet you they will pull it off because someone likes making money, but I bet you it's going to be weird. Yeah, we should I'd... clarify something. We should clarify something. Okay, so I, Simon West, he directed the second one for Sly Stallone. His idea was that in a future Expendables film, they could bring in like a female team sort of thing. The movie we're talking about, the one that Hollywood and, and Shankar are pushing forward with, is entirely separate and has nothing to do with the Expendables. There's no relation. Yeah, I guess I was confused about that as well. But yeah, because our title says "Female Expendables Confirmed." I, I guess, like, Ann, I mean, Anne and I, I think, I don't know if I can agree with everything that Anne has said, but I guess, like, that's my thing. I just don't know if the idea of a massive team up like that. I don't know. I guess I'm just gonna say the same things again. Okay. So well, do you think on. that I could beat up? Do you think I could beat up Jennifer Garner? I, no. I, what? What if I had a running star? Dude, Maybe. I don't think you can beat up any of these women you keep claiming to. I don't think you can either. I think Lucy Lawless would destroy I could, you. No, no, she's down. She's, she's not I late will, I, I, My new mission is to try to get in good with Lucy Lawless so I can set up this cage match. <laughs> okay. You know, we'll see how this develops. Obviously, you know, as Rob sort of clarified, not a lot of actual connection to the you know other movies. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what direction they do take it. I will say I, I'd be interested in the idea. I just... What I love about like the idea of a major massive team up movie with all these like action stars is that all of the guys are just kind of insane and over the top. Um, well, yeah, it so could be. Kind of here's what I'm thinking. Just before we continue, sorry, Ben. I'm yeah. thinking Ocean's Eleven, but rated R, with everybody can kill people, <laughs> females. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking too. Our second news story. Uh, this came out today. We're sort of now also, we have an update on this story already. Warner Brothers has passed on the Dark Tower adaptation. So this is the adaptation of the Stephen King post-apocalyptic gunslinger series. Um, it was initially at Universal, and then Universal passed on it. Ron Howard had this enormous, ambitious idea for several movies that would be kind of intercut with a TV miniseries that sort of detailed some of the smaller, more personal stories of this larger um, movie universe. And Universal passed on it about six months ago, I think. They sort of said they weren't up for trying to figure all that out. And then Warner Brothers stepped in and said, well, maybe we're interested in doing it. Russell Crowe came on board and said, listen, if Warner Brothers does it, I'll star in it. Um, and today we're now hearing that Warner Brothers has also passed on it. Um, however, there's an update to the story that sounds like Media Rights Capital, who's an investment firm, they backed films like Ted and the upcoming Elysium film. That's the Neil Blomkamp movie starring Matt Damon. Um, is potentially interested now in picking up the Dark Tower you know, sort of project that Ron Howard has mapped out. Um, it's unclear at this point whether or not they're going to do it, but Deadline is reporting that an announcement could come very soon um, if they are going to do it. Sounds like they're pretty interested in it. They're making, you know, a ton of money off of Ted and sort of wanting to kind of keep that momentum going, and they want a bigger franchise that they can invest in. So the Dark Tower may, may or may not be it. 
So I've been watching this for a long time, and this has definitely been a really kind of curious experiment to kind of keep your eye on because this Dark Tower thing has been the kind of golden egg that a lot of people have been trying to do for a long time, which is to kind of get into the 21st century model of developing um, multi-platform properties that actually function fully and thrive in each you know section of the platform, meaning that something you could do and tell a story over movies and TV and have it all be kind of connected and kind of crucial viewing, but have each side of it be as strong as the other and as popular and profitable as the other. And you see this all the time when, you know, film companies try to develop like movies and then develop tie-in video games, but it, it rarely works on all fronts because something inevitably lacks. And that's usually, unfortunately, the video game side pretty much. Mm-hmm. But... This has been a pretty ambitious kind of project, one that would be actual kind of required viewing, that in between film chapters, you would have these TV stories to kind of bridge gaps, and the audience would follow it from small screen to big screen, and all the other kind of tie-ins you could do with it, books and other media forms, comic books, and, and just where you could go with this. It could be a real cash cow. So the trick is, you know, you're taking a kind of leap in faith based on the material because the Stephen King book is is loved it has a very strong cult following but it is kind of out there I mean it mixes it's basically like Stephen King threw every kind of genre into like a mixing pot and was just like okay we're gonna add a little bit of western some sci-fi a little mystery a little fantasy um you know a little horror and we're just gonna mix this all up and there we go the dark tower so I mean it is kind of a property that in the the irony is it needs to prove itself to be able to then access this big kind of golden egg i was describing before and it is a big risk because they want to kind of fund it all up front but you really need to do like a movie i think somebody just should just stop playing around and frankly just make a, a movie short launch it on the internet see if people go for the idea and really just push a lot of the i mean make a short that really just throws you into the dark tower world and just shows you like a scene that of what this world is like like just do do something cliched i mean goddamn just do like a riding into town and going to a saloon story in the dark tower world um and just let people see see how people respond to it yeah um i'm actually surprised warner brothers didn't run with this because Previously, like I guess Viggo Mortensen was the big guy rumored for the role, and then they actually like signed Javier Bardem to the to the main the protagonist. What's his name? Roland Deshane. Yep. And uh, the issue, like like Kofi was saying, is that it's not just a movie deal. It's a it's the it's all up front. Like Kofi was saying, it's three films and two television series in between each film that are like ten or twelve episodes each. And so it would be like this, like five year plan. The franchise is all laid out. Brian Grazer and Ron Howard have it all set up, and Universal dropped out of it. But Warner Brothers, you know, with them trying so hard to milk the Hobbit franchise and looking for franchises to pick up where Harry Potter left off, I'm shocked they didn't run with this because with Russell Crowe taking over that role, he's like a bankable leading star. I'm surprised they didn't try to come up with some way to at least make one film out of it. And if that succeeds, throw a TV show into production a year or two later. But I don't know. I'm very interested in this. I hope it does get made. This is Stephen King's like biggest thing. It's an eight-book series. Uh, and it, the weird part is that even if this doesn't get made now, within a decade it's going to be made by someone. So it's a shame if it doesn't get running properly soon. I think we can all agree, too, that if they do something with the Dark Tower, anybody who's like familiar with the story, like we would like to see some kind of multi-platform production. 
it, the story of the Dark Tower is too big to just be, you know, these movies, unless they're movies that are, you know, unless they really do kind of plot out the movies in a compelling way. But it is, it is a story that kind of lends itself to quieter moments on television and bigger sort of, you know, blow-ups on the big screen. So it's a really ambitious and really interesting idea. Um, but we've also seen a lot of sure thing books turned summer movies. Well, John Carter. Yeah, it wasn't a summer movie, but I mean, John Carter was a colossal disappointment. And, you know, it's it's an established IP with a really strong fan base. Um, and people just. Oh, buddy, you dropped slang on me? IP? Ip Man? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, Intellectual like property. property. Big yeah. words. Uh, oh, snap. But I mean that was a that was a movie that you know I mean Disney knew that it might be a little bit of a risk but I mean did not expect it to do nearly as poorly as it did and that was supposed to be the beginning of a major franchise. One of the problems with this and and I touched on it in the article that I wrote up that's on the site is that the way the production of this would have to work and I think Rob kind of alluded to it a little bit as well is that a movie would be in production with the television series in production kind of at the same time. And so, like, once that movie finished production, they'd start on the next movie with a television series in production basically before the first movie's returns had even come in. So it's a, it would be a constant juggling ball situation where you aren't just able to say, okay, well, let's throw one out and see how it does. Um, at least with the plan that Ron Howard has that, you know, that I think a lot of people are kind of behind, except for all the people that would have to pay for it. Hell, yeah. I wouldn't pay for that. That's ridiculous. There's too many expected successes that you need to have in order for this to be pulled off and in television the last thing that you can that you look for is an expected success because you rarely find it it's crazy that's i mean yeah it sounds like something that ron howard and brian grazer would put together because they like to do that type of i don't know chance type television with sports night and arrested development but damn warner brothers warner brothers is rolling too high to let to let that tear him down, because that could that could instantly go terrible if the television show just sucks. So you need to have the right network to put it on, and then you have to, it has to be on the right day, and it has to be programmed in the right slot, you know, against something where it will win. And that's only to bet on the success of a you know like a two hundred million dollar movie. That's crazy. That's crazy money. Yeah, I mean, Stephen King, you know, I mean, certainly as, as I think Kofi talked about there, there is like a fan following for this, for sure. But it's not, you know, these aren't like the Lord of the Rings books or something. I mean, these are books that, you know, movies like this go into production all the time where they have, you know, a big name author that the book is based on. And, you know, there's really strong fan following. And then they just find out there really isn't any interest outside of that fan following for it. So it's not, it's not something that's bankable like to a sure thing. And when you talk about in Hollywood, you talk a lot about opportunity costs, like what could Warner brothers make, you know, say this whole project would cost them $800 million in the long run, right? Maybe they'll make that money back or they could make, you know, eight, $100 million pictures that all make even more money than this collectively could, you know, and there, there's not as much of a potential risk on each of those. So this is like, like ushering in the future. It's like who's going to be the first one to test the prototype, you know? Yeah. Everybody yeah. wants the other guy to be the first one. Who's going to test it's, the time portal first? Well, you want the other guy to be. Yeah, it's starting, right? Because Arrested Development, did, it's like a season plus movie. That, that was the deal for that, right? Yeah. right. So, and then Marvel, we don't know the extent of this, but the ABC TV series is somehow tied in 
with the film universe, how much what that means, we don't know yet. But, right. I mean, this is going to happen sooner rather than later. But to the cost point, Ben, uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy cost like 280 but that was like over a decade ago. Uh, but by filming it, like part of the appeal to the investment side of it is that when you shoot all three films plus the TV shows together, you're cutting your costs in like half minimum. So that was the one thing it had going for it, but it's like you still have to invest all in all, it's going to cost you half a billion or something close to yeah. that. So that's that's the insane part. But still, Warner Brothers, I don't know, man. With the, with the way the Green Lantern went, <laughs> like I'm surprised they're not trying something. But yeah, I guess we'll see. Yeah. In the, this would work. This would have worked if it was in the '80s. Like they should have done it in the '80s when Stephen King was hot. Like when his books were hot. Stephen King's not hot shit anymore. Like he hasn't been in a long time. Like movies about his films are still being made, and some of the movies are really good. But as in all, Stephen King is not as powerful as he used to be. Yeah, I don't think... I, I mean, I think, you know, there will be podcast listeners that disagree with us, but I mean, I don't think Stephen King is just, like, outright a bankable name. Like, you can put his name on stuff and, you know, and you certainly attract attention that way, but it's not, like, a sure thing. I mean, there are plenty of Stephen King properties that, you know, aren't particularly successful or people don't really care much about at all, so... Um, you know, and the Dark Tower is certainly there is a like I said a really strong sort of geek friendly following for that. But you know, I don't know, I don't know if that's an. I mean, I think to your point, I mean, I think it's true. I think that name doesn't sort of carry weight on its own necessarily. Yeah, Stephen King has a sci-fi series on, or a series on sci-fi based on one of his books, and it gets like you know one two million viewers tops. That's still pretty impressive. Well, no, I mean the highest in sci-fi is like four million. On a related note, we're now getting word that it's a possibility that AMC is looking into turning The Walking Dead into a movie. Well, so far, it's not like they're looking, looking. It's more like somebody on set heard somebody talking about it, heard somebody talking about it. But word is that they're starting to kick around the idea and starting to ask the question of if and when they would need to do a feature film. Um, and how they would kind of go about it. And, you know, there are obvious options on the table. You could try to just do like a spinoff or a reboot film as like its own thing. Not such a great idea, you know, from a lot of fans' perspective. You could make a movie a capper to the television series, which is, you know, pretty good. But that's always kind of an iffy idea when you're trying to tell a complete story on TV and then you want to make a jump to a movie. Um, other ideas range from them possibly like trying to have like a major part of the story captured in a movie. So, you know, you could have like a season of the TV show, then some major event that takes place in the comics kind of encapsulated in a movie and then like, on to another season and you could do that that way. But it's just something they're starting to kind of kick around and in, in the post for it, which you can find on screenrant.com, we were just kind of asking the question of, you know, do you think, do people kind of think this is necessary? Do they need to approach a movie version of The Walking Dead at all? Or is it kind of like just making another zombie movie and kind of the point is of the show is, well, let me put it to you this way. Is it kind of a point of the series that there needs to be something like a TV show? And what I mean by that is that when creator Robert Kirkman made The Walking Dead comic... He, I mean, he's a pretty simple guy, and I don't mean that as an insult. He's just a simple guy. But when he made the comic, he basically just thought up something really simple. He was like, man, horror movies always have this kind of format 
where it's about people who are like in some messed up circumstances and they so slowly get whittled down and whittled away to like last man standing. And even if it's not one where they like don't kill the monster, like then the last man standing like gets killed right before the credits or whatever. But he wanted to make a story about like what would happen if you actually did survive in some kind of horror movie setting over an extended period of time. Like who would you become and what would life be like? And so, like, all the orderly Walking Dead comics were kind of printed with this thing of, on the back, like, and now, like, a continuing story of uh, horror survival. And that was the whole point of it. It was supposed to be continuous, never-ending, that no matter how you change protagonists or perspectives or whatever, it, it will keep going. And so, that naturally kind of defeats the format of a movie, per se. Um, so, we asked a question to the fans, like, do you think there needs to be a movie... And we got about 800 votes. Actually, we got 800 votes total. And overwhelmingly, the opinion was that people want to see the show end in some kind of big movie. Now, me being cynical me, I've started to think that, you know, whereas Robert Kirkman originally said he was going to continuously see this comic go on forever, he's got a lot on his plate. He's trying to get into more comic series, more TV shows. He's going kind of mogul on us if he doesn't get sued to death, as I'm sure Ant will tell you in a minute. But if things have changed for him, let's just say the playing field's changed for this guy. He's getting money now. That, that changes things. So I'm kind of getting cynical about whether or not he would start to steer this comic towards a definite ending, possibly towards an ending that they're like, make sure you steer it towards an ending we could put into a movie or something like that. So. Right. We'll see how this goes, because this might start affecting art. You know, life might start affecting, you know, direct effect on art here pretty soon. So we'll see. Um, well, just before I get to the movie side of it, uh, in terms of the comics, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I don't think if Kirkman's done and wants his payout, I think they're going to pass the comic on to somebody else. Just like the same thing happened with Joss Whedon when he revived The Astonishing X-Men. It was such a big success for Marvel. He was done. The story was done. Marvel didn't care. It was a recognizable title that kept it going. And the proof is in the pudding. Like the hundredth hundredth issue issue just came out uh, around Comic Con, and it was the top selling indie comic ever, like of this century. And so, like, why would they ever stop it now? Like, it's it's popular as it's it's still going up and up and up in popularity, and the TV show is only boosting that. So, to steer it toward an end game now would be like just a, a dumb idea in terms of the comic side of the business. And we know comic publishers won't let that happen, even if it's an indie comic. So, I don't think that's going to happen. In terms of the film, I agree with the latter point. I don't think. The Walking Dead works as a film. The whole point is that you have this slow burn. The whole point is that you experience this along with these with these people, and that when something happens to the people, you feel that impact because you've been with them for so long. It's not the kills and thrills of your typical Dawn of the Dead, and I don't think uh, it would benefit in any way if, if it came to film. I, I don't think those characters belong there, not this type of story. It's kind of an interesting point, though, because, I don't know, I mean, as, like, a writer, like, I don't know if I... Like, and, I, and this kind of ties into my cynicism towards like television series that go on and on and on forever. But I don't know if there's something necessarily good about the idea of a story that just continues forever. Um, because at some point, that story, like especially if Kirkman you know, ends up dropping out, which is inevitable. I guess I'm more in the camp of, like, that guy is eventually going to say, like, listen, you know, I pay people to do this now. Like, I don't, I don't want to have to get up and like toil over these stories. I want to, you know, express myself in other ways. But at some point, like you've told all the stories that you can tell, and I think that's at some point Kirkman's going to hit that point with The Walking Dead, and at some point you're going to hit that point in general with The Walking Dead. Like, how many zombie stories can you tell? We call that the Simpson syndrome. Yeah. How many? 
how many people stories can you tell? The zombies are always going to be there in the background. It's not oh, a, sure. It's not but I mean, like, how many unique them. people stories can you tell? Is I guess what I, I mean. Like, I, like I, at some point they all just kind of blur together. I don't think like I've read like quite a f- bit or like quite a few of like The Walking Dead, and I mean at some point like it started to kind of like trail off for me, and I like I don't because it's their story. Some of them are stories that I've seen before in movies and things like that, and I mean they're characters that I care about to a certain extent, but I don't know. I don't. Like and we're sort of getting away from the topic of whether or not we want to see a movie, I guess. But, but I don't think it's good when people say, "Oh, this should just go on forever," because I don't think things can really do that. I think you have to kind of eventually clear the way and make room for a new take on something. Yeah, it's like after a while, feminist literature would disagree with you, and Shirley Jackson would disagree with you, Ben. It's, well, it's true. I I understand that Jackson's class. I still don't really even understand what happened there. So <laughs> yeah, blue, blue. Um. Well, here's the thing. So I think with the comic book series, I think that's the core thing. That's the thing that he doesn't, that he said that's never going to stop, never ending. Everything else is all set up to end, but I mean, what's and the that's core, fine. Was, hold on, but what's the core idea? I mean, the core idea is like a world filled with zombies. Like, that's not... That's well, not no, a it's a, it's a idea, really. one man's, you know, journey through all of this. So, there's like, it's goofy, but, you know, I mean, essentially it could continue and it could be, you know, interesting to continue that. And he's clearly going to check out at some point, but there's a million authors that can copy the style and keep the same tone and stories and make it successful. That's fine. Comic book is known for that. With the TV series, they know that they're, I mean, they're already behind the comic book a large amount. So they never thought that they're going to tell a whole bunch of stories, but the producers have said that they they want to tell one story. Like they have like a section of the comics that they they want to tell, and that's their whole point to get through it. And I think the movie thing is completely separate because there's no way that they can transition television series to uh, a movie series that needs to be as successful as it. The Walking Dead movie would need to be, because once you base off a TV series, you already lower your potential uh, profits because it already has that attachment that would draw people away from it or anything like that. So th- I think that they would want to start it. They would want to have somebody else do it and do it bigger and just tell a portion of that story because there's a bunch of portions that you could tell the story that would be interesting enough. But and AMC would want to do it because AMC owns the rights to the TV series, so of course they're going to be part of the movie thing, and it would be interesting because AMC's sister stations are the Sundance Channel and IFC, so they they already have that distribution and type of movie platform uh, to do that. And for AMC as a growing network, it seems like trying to make a movie out of a property, even if it's not directly related but only attached by name is still especially if they're going to produce it or something like that it would be the it would be the the wise move in their uh expansion i guess like i just don't even understand like what like why you would bring i guess that to a movie that's like more like people have this idea like they want to see well, movies well, cuz it's a, a zombie i mean you can do the every... early days you could do the Laurie and Shane escaping and the fall of humanity and do all that stuff i mean that would be yeah. a crazy movie that would be about the only portion of it that i be i guess could in my opinion be really made into a movie that would be super compelling but i don't know yeah, but, yeah i mean you, every, you, name you the walking dead is like uh return of the living dead like that type of stuff for this generation whenever you think of zombies you think walking dead now you have a specific name associated and a property associated to that 
the whole like they did back in the eighties and stuff. So everything zombies is Walking Dead. So if you want a movie, an awesome zombie movie, you get the Walking Dead zombie movie. I mean, it's just like there's so many zombie movies out there, and like the way that they sort of have made themselves more interesting is, like, I don't know, like iterating so much on the format in one way or another. Like, you know, I don't know, like 28 Days Later or something, right? It's like they're fast, crazy zombies and stuff like that. I mean, it's like I don't know if The Walking Dead is really set up in a way to produce a big budget movie experience yeah. that makes it worth being in. My prequel idea is ready to go right I now. Think, well, your prequel idea is about the only way that I think it would be worthwhile. I mean, I agree yeah. with that. I do agree with that. That would be cool to watch and certainly would fit the scale of big screen Dude, you take Shane, Lori, Carl, you put them with all the people they started escaping with first, and then all those motherfuckers die. But do anybody want to see, I mean, would anybody want to see pre- yeah, I, I not know. right now. You are missing the whole point. The whole point of these talks is not, hey, can we make a really awesome movie? No, it's saying we need to lot. We need to wrap up a zombie movie with the name The Walking Dead that we can put out. That's yeah. the whole point of this talk. And yeah, that's interesting. And yeah, Robert Kirkman would totally be into it. That dude loves money. And but yeah, so that's the whole point. Yeah, any zombie movie that has The Walking Dead's name attached to it is automatically a more successful zombie movie. Right. Yeah, well, I certainly agree with that. I mean, it's an established franchise, for sure. Uh, yeah, the, I like the prequel idea, and the post credit scene will be the characters from the show first experiencing the outbreak. That'd be perfect. I'd be game for that. Also, yeah. wait, Ben, to your point about ending everything, about the comics, um, I think it can go on forever, because like I said, it, it, the zombie thing is just the backdrop. It's like EastEnders, a TV show. That is just about a, you know, a little street in Britain. It's about the people, and the people can change. <laughs> you know, Anthony knows what I'm talking about. I, I, I just I, want... But does everyone... No, everyone listen doesn't know that Rob is quoting a soap opera. Yeah, any soap opera. They've asked for decades and decades and decades, or any other comic book. The X-Men have been around for seven years. They're going to keep being there for forever because it's about the people, right? You can keep doing things with the people. You can keep exchanging them. They can grow up. They can have other family members. That part well, can go on forever. That's why I think you, you literally could keep the comic series going on forever. The TV show, you cannot because television relies on, on talent and stars right. and your attachment to those specific characters. And I think like, the difference for me, though, is like, I mean, the reason X-Men like, can go on forever is because you introduce new X-Men with crazy new powers it, that create crazy no, new opportunities. Not just that, though. But you can do it. There, can, there, are char- there are books now without superpower people. So, like, this one, you can still bring introduce. They can find other groups of survivors. They can find other things. It's just There's so much to explore in terms of people, and that part can go on forever, I think. Yeah, dude, it's like the life of Benjamin Buttons, but it's the entire life, and it's not short because he doesn't have this weird disease. But, like I you're mean, literally watching one man's life all the way up into his to his end after going through this experience. So it's like a complete journey of humanity type sure. thing. What? So yeah, so it could go on forever or until yeah. they kill him, until he you know <laughs> old, and then they have to kill him naturally. Hold on, so like. We we do need to move on, but like what like Rob like if you were, like if you were to read that story forever, like how many times though could you? Doesn't, no, that's not how comics work. There are going to be new readers all the time, just like as new characters are coming. There's going to be new readers. It can go on forever. But if you are someone who reads for thirty years, there's always going to be new characters having new situations. Just like life, like you and me are going to live for decades and decades and decades, and future people are going to live for decades well, and decades. There's always hopefully. stories. Yeah, well, until world ends, end of this year. But yeah, so. Um, no, I think the comic, as long as there are readers, there's always stories to tell with people, yeah, I think. That's a like fair point. Like the doctor, like Doctor Who, buddy. 
Well, there you okay, go. See that? Hey! Hold on. Oh. So they, okay, so but that's another that <laughs> plays to my X Men example, which is like the Doctor goes into different worlds and different times and different like there's an endless amount of possibilities. And he has new... Com- I mean, so that works in the context of, like, the different characters because he gets new companions. Yeah, but, but that's a much sto- wider but, universe. Like, But the whole story. point of the story is you're but following then you're one being racist against zombie Africa. Carl's and Rick have never been to zombie Africa. You don't know what that's like. I just yeah, think the there's a limited... World. I think there's a limited interest in, like, zombies. Like, I think people like zombies a lot, and, you know, there will probably be people that will read... So what are you saying? Comics. American zombies are better than African zombies? <laughs> I'm I will just say so. <laughs> zombies are just always going to be stuck on the other in a big horde stuck on the other side of a door where people have like limited ammunition on the other side. Like that's like it's a very very basic simple setup and like they've been able to stretch it out on the walking dead and create some like interesting sort of different set pieces like the prison and things like that to sort of mix it up. But at the end of the day like it's a pretty similar setup with each one. When you bring up something like Doctor Who or like X-Men, like I think about all the crazy stuff that keeps that universe fresh and and gets you like out of that sort of claustrophobic space that the core storyline of something like The Walking Dead would create. But that's I don't just, know, man. I mean, it I depends think just, on what you want to it depends on the journey you want. It'd be think yeah. like the it would be Breaking Bad but real, like straight up fuck you, you want Breaking Bad, this is Breaking Bad. Here's 40 years of comic books. <laughs> Of 40 years of this guy's life. And on some purely artistic, creative level, you have to stand back and say, damn, that's fucking, that's honest. Like, that's real. That's a thing. This dude did that. That's a beautiful thing. I'm going to read Wikipedia still to figure out what happens. But it's awesome that that exists and somebody took it to that you know, extend. Yeah, it sucks that he did it with zombies, because I will agree, zombies are the shit monster of the world. Anyone can kill a zombie. Future evil people, zombies don't work. Think of something else. Werewolves, people still underestimate monsters, so just let them go. But yeah, zombies suck. Zombies is the shittiest thing ever, but, you know, he's, Robert Kirk was a big nerd. That's what yeah. nerds do. I'm not trying to like detract at all or like take away from like what he's done and like where the thing could go. I guess I'm just skeptical that like when you say stories can go on forever or something, like I guess I'm skeptical of the fact of whether or not those stories should go on forever still. Well, it's new story. That's what I'm trying to say, I guess, because it's new yeah. people, new stories, the group's changing, the people are moving, they're always experiencing new situations. The world is endless. So like, yeah, for that reason, I think it can go on forever. As long yeah. as there are readers, of course. Well... I'm sure there are plenty of our listeners that agree with you, so I, you know. Nah. I want to see him. I want to see him at the end of this season, after all the torture and the murder happens, and everyone says, "Holy shit! This is not the series that we've been watching for two seasons. <laughs> Where did this all come from? And why is it such a well-dressed white man in an awesome car?" You know, those are the sort of the three stories that we wanted to touch on this week. There was actually quite a bit of Marvel news that came out this week, but you know, a lot of it's kind of speculation at this point, and nothing was too concrete. Um, so there's a bunch of articles you can check out on the site as well. Marvel Studios wants James Gunn to direct Guardians of the Galaxy. There's a short list for Captain America 2 female leads. Um, Avengers 2 officially confirmed for May 1st, 2015. Joseph Gordon-Levitt has been talking about the Dark Knight Rises legacy. Game of Thrones casting announcements aplenty. Doctor Who Season 7 trailer and images. We also have the trailers for Bullet to the Head and End of Watch. Those are the Sly Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger 
follow-up films, respectively, that are going to be coming out in the next few months. We will be talking about those movies during our Expendables conversation, I'm sure. There's also a bunch of fun editorials, including our ex female Expendables article that we mentioned earlier, plus interviews with the Expendables 2 cast and crew. Um, next up, we're going to jump into our Rants and Rave segment, where we each get a few minutes to rant and or rave about the movies and TV shows we've had a chance to check out since our last episode. <laughs> As usual, we're going to start with Mr. Rob Keys. All right. Uh, since Ben won't let me talk about any of the five Marvel stories I wrote, I watched James Gunn's Super uh, after the news broke that he may be directing Guardians of the Galaxy for Marvel Studios because he has done a lot of uh, geeky comedy action bits, and I love Slither, starring Nathan Fillion that came out a few years ago. So I really wanted to see Super, which came out in 2010, a film that's being compared to Kick-Ass a lot since it's about, uh, you know, quote-unquote real-life people without superpowers trying to suit up and, and stop crime, essentially. And this one stars Rain Wilson, uh, Ellen Page, Liv Tyler, and Kevin Bacon. And uh, like Slither, it has a cameo from Nathan Fillion. So uh, I friggin' loved this movie. It is brutally violent. It is hilarious. It, it's like kick-ass, but it's not afraid, as one of our screamer readers pointed out in, in my article. It's like Slither, but it's not afraid to cross the line thematically and within the story. And in terms of violence, if you thought Kick-Ass was, was like, just brutal, this is, takes that to the next level. And uh, I thought it was very, very well done. I am so excited at the idea that Gunn could be doing a Marvel movie because he gets it. He gets the geek knowledge. Uh, this film, unlike Slither, did not get great reviews. You can check Rotten Tomatoes. It's sitting at somewhere in the 50s. But I thought it was awesome. And I think if you do love the Kick-Ass style of films, you're probably going to love this too. And, and Wilson is himself. Ellen Page plays this crazy, crazy girl who suits up as... Rain Wilson's kind of like sidekick, and they're trying to save Liv Tyler, who's a drug addict, from Kevin Bacon, who's always good as a villain. So this movie even had it all. Even we're talking about The Walking Dead. Uh, Michael Rooker is even in this as one of the henchmen for uh, for Kevin Bacon. So awesome film. I rave about it. Definitely watch it. Do not watch it with kids. It is a hard R for sure. Um, Rob Keys lost the first box office battle where we were allowing the winner to pick a movie or television show for the loser to watch. I picked The Room, and so Rob has an update for us. He got a chance to check the movie out. Uh, Yay! <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it is what it is. This film is definitely one of the worst films ever made. Uh, probably the worst film I've ever seen. I had trouble watching it for the first 30 minutes. Luckily, my girlfriend came over, and I was able to go back and show her some of the scenes to highlight some of the amazing acting from, from, from Tommy Wiseau and how he grunts during every scene, his little grunt laugh, and uh, his amazing voiceover work in ADR, which never matches his mouth movements. Uh, but man, this movie, it, it's, really, it's really odd. The characters are really weird. What's that kid's name? The neighbor, Danny or something? The adopted child of sorts? Yeah, He's like yeah, a yeah. creepy pervert look there oh man okay uh, <laughs> um this movie could have turned it around and been somewhat watchable at the end if they did one of two things one they uh make tommy and that pervert danny aliens at the end danny it's danny uh, yeah sorry danny, danny. sorry yeah. yeah the creepy perv so they should have made them aliens, and it would work with the final <laughs> scene because this film, for anyone who doesn't know, was meant to be a drama. Uh, Wizzo, now that everyone makes fun of the film and makes fun of him, he calls it a black comedy, but it's not. It's just a failed movie that people love to make fun of, uh, and I can see why. But 
so it's basically about a love triangle. And, and when this all comes out during this party scene for Tommy Wiseau's, uh, his character's name is Johnny, and they're celebrating his birthday at the end, it all comes out that, that his wife-to-be, his fiance, is cheating on him with this, like, Calvin Klein model name. <laughs> He's not Calvin Klein model in the, the film, but that's what he is in real life. He is uh, cheating on him with, with this other guy. And it all comes out, and it's a big feud. And this is when Wiseau's best lines come out. And <laughs> he says, uh, or Mark says to Johnny, he says, wake up, man. What planet are you on? And then like two seconds later, Wiseau says, everybody betrayed me. I'm fed up with this world. So both those planetary references should have been the scene where he comes out as an alien and kills everybody. And that would have been a sweet ending. Uh, the other way to make this film work is if they just went out, just made it what it actually is, and brought in the hardcore porn. Because this film is a porno. Uh, there are like five ridiculous sex scenes. It has all the porno music. It's got uh, that lead actress looks like a 23-year-old porn actress. Uh, and man, they should have just went hardcore with this. This would have been the greatest five-part porno ever. They could have based it off of Ghostbusters, and Anthony would have fucking loved it. But uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it is terrible. But man, I really wish they made an alien porno out of this. So, but it is. <laughs> it like it. Well, what other movie have you seen where the your your summary is? I wish they would have made an alien porno out of this. <laughs> yeah, because it works. It's so. Oh my god, dude! I'm telling you, if they did that, this movie would have been brilliant. So. Studio interference, I'm calling on Tommy Wiseau, <laughs> screwing with his own film that he wrote, directed, and starred in, and marketed, because they didn't do, didn't finish it properly. I want the extended edition with all the porn and the aliens and the twist ending. Um, yeah, I love, this fucking sucks. I love that you, uh, like, you actually managed to dream up a scenario where all of the crazy, insane stuff in this movie that happens, like, would make sense, and the solution would have been that he was an alien, because... Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, that actually would have totally made sense. Like, Alien well, he, comes down to Earth. He was trying to, like, you know, understand humanity. He falls in love with a woman. It goes it goes badly. And then he just freaking flips out. That would have been... here to test human love, and that's what explains all the crazy sex scenes. <laughs> Tommy Wiseau is an alien, which explains how he talks, moves, how, how he looks, um, how he has sex with people, with roses. It's all weird. And... It also explains Boy Wonder, the perverted psychic, who's also trying to discover human love by coming in and yeah. trying to ask Alien Boy to bang his fiance. It's all, man, this movie's so messed. But yes, I wrote all that down as notes I was going to gonna like bring up to you guys. And then I freaking discovered that Machinima did a little like mini-series with this guy playing video games. Uh, ended in January or something. It was 10 episodes. Where... Wizzo is in like an alien moon base. We're playing video games, and I'm like, "Holy crap!" That is the prequel and/or sequel to the room because this is the only explanation. Um, man. Okay, so if so, okay, just like for reference, though. Now, if you found out there was a midnight showing of the room playing, like near you, would you go to it? No, I can't. It, it's too long. This, I could not believe this film was almost two hours. Like, if it was 45 minutes, I could maybe bear it. If we can walk distance. And I was, like, drunk. Uh, but, no, it was very, very tough to sit through this entire thing, to be honest. And <laughs> I didn't wait. That's a box quote if I've ever heard one. Yeah, uh, I, uh, if this movie was 45 minutes, was within walking distance, and I was drunk, I pr <laughs> you could probably get me to watch it again. I consider it. No, but, I mean, like, people say it's the worst film ever made. And, it like, from a story standpoint, dialogue, acting, narrative, all the technical reasons, it is the worst film ever made that I've ever seen. So, uh uh, but yeah, I did not watch it with a crowd because I'm not an asshole, and I, there's no one I know I would do this. But 
but I did show a couple highlights to my girlfriend who like could not even believe this was a real thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I did it. I did it for you, all of okay. you. Okay, I think you did it because you lost, buddy. You yeah, did never it because you lost, again. Anthony. Yeah. So I sat down and watched Workaholics. I finally did it uh, because Kofi's always on my ass about it, and uh, some other people are too. I just can't remember. I watched the first two seasons and was raving about it here. So yeah, so I watched Workaholics, and I really like it. But I want to say that you can see, you can clearly see the series weaknesses when you watch the show, and I can understand why I wouldn't like the show when I first watched it because it's more, it's more like performance comedy instead of like written comedy. If you want to preface it like that, like Will Ferrell is more performance comedy. And like and Adam Sandler is more like writer type comedy, right? So there's a lot of agreeableness to a lot of their humor is about just never say like the whole improv thing of you never say no. So there's a lot of that that can get pretty thin sometimes. I don't think like a lot of the movie tie-ins are as great as they could be. I think like the the core stories are really good. But no, I like the series. I like the characters. <clears throat> I like everyone. I like the show. It's really weird though because each season. I think you can watch Workaholics, but I don't know if somebody you like you can see Workaholics. Oh my god! <laughs> you start saying these fucking Mr. Miyagi statements. <laughs> but no, no, I like it. But yeah, I mean, you can see the weaknesses in the series. But I like the characters. This is the best version of that type of stuff that I've seen. Like, people, I didn't like Upright Citizens Brigade. I didn't like uh, Trailer Park Boys. I just can't do really performancey stuff. But I think that they have a lot of great things going for it. It's weird that each season's only three, three and a half hours if you watch them back to back. So each season's really super short. So that's odd. I would like longer seasons. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. First and then- smoking marijuana pipe on television in the credits. How long is the league? Isn't it the same thing? Well, no. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah. <laughs> so what? The league just feels longer because FX has less commercials. Well, I think, like, for me, like, something with the Workaholics, I, like, like Workaholics, but I do feel like some of them, some of the episodes kind of blend together and stuff for me. Yeah. Like, there's some really, uh, really good ones, but... It's... Not given that series to... two watches, I could tell you every single episode and why it's funny. I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I watch it as a group. That's how I like shows like that. Same with the league. If I had to watch the league like 20 minutes at a time once a week, I'd kill myself. It's great to watch as like a long movie all at once. And then, like you said, it does all bleed together. So I like that because you do get to see a lot of little little mini details that carry over from episode to episode. Even though it's not necessary, I do like that part of it. Yeah. I like the Juggalo episode from season one. Yeah, the Juggalo episode I think is my maybe my favorite episode. I love that episode. No, oh, yeah. man, Adam. The bodybuilding episode where he starts banging the cougar, absolutely best. The thing that turned me on to the series, uh, to friend a predator, still one of the best I've ever seen of that type. Oh my god, of that type of humor. <laughs> friend a predator is cl- is classic. Is classic. <laughs> what else do you have, Ant? Oh, and then I just wanted to briefly talk about this series, this HBO digital series. That you can watch on HBO Go. You have to be an HBO subscriber. It's called Brody Stevens. Enjoy it. And it's about... It's made by Galifianakis. And it's about his friend who's a comedian named Brody Stevens. 
and he's like a crazy guy, and he stopped taking his medication one time, and he went nuts. He literally had a breakdown, and he went crazy, and the first episode like follows the guy, and then it's, it picks up to the second episode where he snaps where he has this breakdown and it's crazy like Zach Galifianakis is playing voicemails that he's let his friends leaving saying that you know that he's going to destroy him that he knows all his dark secrets like really fucked up shit and it's crazy and all these like comedians and friends of his are trying to get it under control and then the the series continues through just different things about the guy after he gets back under control and then his final thing as a is a, having a spot on Conan. But it's really interesting. It's six episodes, 15 minutes each. It's really, really good. Next week you have The Vampire Diaries. Oh, correct? my God. Oh, yep. my God. I tried to watch it. It's so... It's just painful. Like, it's... I don't want to. Like, that's what I feel like whenever I think about it. I don't want to. Um, well, we'll hear more about that. <laughs> we'll look forward to that glowing review next week. Spoiler. <laughs> Jesus. Um, Kofi. Alright, this week I'm going to kind of rave about Paranorman, which is the uh, new stop-motion animated film from Leica, Leica? I don't know how to pronounce them, Leica Entertainment, um, the makers of Coraline, and Paranorman is basically, just a real quick breakdown, it's, it's about a young boy named Norman who is a, an outcast, he's a social outcast because he has the ability to see ghosts, to see the dead, essentially, and this makes him understandably a freak. Um... But he makes a friend in this kind of heavy set boy, and he's all right for a while. But then his crazy uncle, who can also see the dead, comes running about this prophecy of a evil witch who is kind of a folk piece of the town folklore. But he tells her that she was real and that she's coming back and she's going to raise the dead unless Norman can kind of, you know, do the classic put her at rest. And so this kid has to lose his you know, change the status of an outcast into something useful that can maybe win him approval, but he has to believe in himself and do all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. And the long short of it is, um, this film is pretty impressive visually. Like, Paranorman is a pretty good accomplishment in terms of just, like, visual aesthetic. Not only is it pretty talented stop-motion design and character and, and and set design, but it mixes in CGI effects and pretty well for the ghost effects and some other effects that come up in the movie towards the end. And it's very it's directed with a very sophisticated hand by actually two directors, Chris Butler and Sam Fell. Uh, Chris Butler was a kind of art designer on a lot of movies like Coraline and Tim Burton's Corpse Bride, while Sam Fell directed the uh, movie Flushed Away which is an inventive little tale. It's kind of overlooked, but inventive. Um, And they make a very, very sophisticated film. I mean, this stop-motion animated film is directed better than a lot of movies I've seen recently in terms of just, like, camera angles and choice of shots and how to set things up. And they're still also playing, essentially, on a big diorama with these stop-motion characters that they're filming. But they do, like, crazy, curious camera angles and things like that. And, And it's very... It's very impressive the way they constructed this film. Um, unfortunately, in towards the latter half of the uh, second act, it kind of slows down considerably in the middle. It gets really bloated and kind of sags in the middle as things really kind of get uninteresting and it glazes over. And there's a lot of kid kid focused uh, slapstick 
whereas the rest of the film is kind of more adult. I mean, it is kind of a parody of horror films, but they do some pretty disturbing things. There's like a whole sequence of, of Norman the Kid having to uh, maneuver and get something out of the hand of this corpse, this dead body, this person who just died, and it's pretty disturbing. Like, there were a lot of kids in my screening, and, and they were understandably upset by some of the stuff they saw. Um so it is adult, but in the middle it gets really slapstick and silly with kids, and it kind of sags there. But then, like I said, it ends on some pretty intense stuff. Like it, it gets pretty intense into like kid psyche and stuff like that. But so it's not a perfect film, but it's pretty enjoyable. It's another kind of very dark, funny, inventive movie from these people at Lakey Entertainment and Light Coraline. It's kind of like Coraline, um, but slightly different. Uh, I still kind of like Coraline better because that is just a weird, messed up film. But this is in the same vein. So if you like Coraline, check out Paranorman. Um, finally, I'm just going to quickly rant about Better Off Ted, which was a TV series that premiered in the mid-2000s around the time that 30 Rock was first kind of catching on. And it actually stars some recognizable faces, including, uh, what's her name, Portia de Rossi from Arrested yeah. Development, who plays Lindsay Bluth, yeah. and Jay Harrington, who we recently saw in American Reunion. He played um, the the guy that Mina Savari had, was dating. But it was basically a, story, um, it was a workplace comedy about this massive corporation that this guy, Ted, works as uh, research and development. He's like head of research development. And Portia de Rossi's is kind of crazy, almost like robotic, emotionless corporate shark boss. And he has this romance with this lady played by Andrea Anders from The Joey Show. But anyway, it was a very zany kind of workplace comedy. It was very much, it was 30 Rock-esque. I mean, that's why I came back to it. I have successfully gone through all five seasons of 30 Rock on Netflix and watched all, you know, however many I guess, hundred and odd episodes that are in there. And I was really feeling some kind of withdrawal. I, I was scared that I was going to leap right back into 30 Rock and start all over again because of just, you know, addiction. But instead, I kind of like have weaned myself off onto Better Off Ted. And they canceled the show pretty quickly. I think it got like a first season for maybe 13 episodes or something like that. And then like part of a second season. Yeah, there's like 20 uh, episodes total or something. Yeah, like right? uh, well, 13 episodes in 26. season two. 26, oh, so two, two 13 episode seasons. Um, but it was a good show. It was a, a worthy contender to 30 Rock in terms of just like that kind of humor. Very zany humor and a lot of funny people. Um, one of the actors who plays a doctor, he's he plays the black the black doctor or the black scientist guy, uh, he's a very famous character. I mean, he's a more famous character actor now. And the people in the show have kind of gone on and done other, other things. But better off Ted. It was a gem. It lasted from 2009 to 2010, but it's gone now. But I think that... Any, I hope it's something like... I, I actually am pushing for this one to be like one of those things that Netflix like resurrects because I think it would be successful. It was a funny, it was a funny show. Yeah, it's a great. I loved Better Off Ted when it was on, and and totally like watched it every week. And there are some really, really great episodes, especially in the first season. I think. I think in the second season they may have been kind of trying to like rejigger things and figure it out so that they could, you know, try and kind of reach a new audience. But I think people like you know if you're in for you, you know something kind of like in the same tone of Arrested Development or something like Thirty Rock, 
you know, it is easy. There's two seasons, 26 episodes total. Um, you know, it's totally one of those things you can watch on your lunch break or, you know, and, and everything. I, w I would totally recommend it. If for no other reason than for the relationship between the characters Phil and Lem, who Kofi was sort of talking about earlier, the scientists, like most of their stories on it and sort of their con contributions to each episode are, are pretty, pretty great. Yeah, I just saw the black guy, the thing where the scanners don't scan the black yeah, guy. That's the best episode of the whole series. Yeah, I love that episode. Uh, that yeah. is an amazing thing. Yeah, but, yeah, that's a that's a really great episode for sure. So wrong, where you guys, black guys in an elevator. Of course, no white person is going to stay on here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that brings us to me. I one of the my Twitter followers was joking at me the other day because I was talking about the movies that I'd watched for this week. Um, and they said February 2012 wants their movies back um, because I watched The Artist and The Help this week. I have been sort of working through my list of shame. I actually just finished all of The Big Bang Theory. Um, I was totally caught up on Awake. I got done with that. And so I have had more of a chance to kind of watch movies that I had been putting off now. Um, I got a chance to check out The Artist. And um, I was watching it on a plane, so I didn't get sort of like the full effect of being able to sit down and watch it in one continuous go. But I did really enjoy it. I, you know, we had been, I wouldn't say we were critical of it, because I know a few of us had seen the artist. And I mean, I think even after kind of all of, after having seen it, I am still a little bit surprised at how much it sort of made out at the Academy Awards and, and everything. But I... You know, I do think it's like a special movie in a lot of ways. It definitely is sort of a successful throwback that also has a sort of a more interesting overarching idea than just trying to emulate, you know, these these uh, movies before the quote-unquote talkies came into being in Hollywood. You know, I think it says a lot of interesting things and, you know, it's kind of a fun fun way of looking back at sort of the history of Hollywood. But did anybody else see this movie? Am I the only one who's seen it now out of us? I thought... I tried to I watch it, it twice. They don't have enough words for me. Maybe it was someone else that was like on as a guest then when we were talking about it. Because I remember someone talking about it on the podcast. But Austin, uh, I think. You said, yeah. You said you tried to watch it, Ant, and you couldn't get through it? Yeah, I just wasn't feeling it. Like, I I like my hearing. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely... Like, I have a friend who, was, who likes silent movies, and we were talking about it some, and is more familiar with silent movies than me. And, you know, they were saying it's, like, not a great you know, silent movie in some respects. Like, it does a good job of kind of emulating it, but, you know, I think the real success of the movie is kind of how it communicates something interesting about the silence um, and how it kind of sort of puts that into perspective, not just in terms of, like, emulating it, but is also able to kind of ground that into an actual character arc. But I would definitely recommend it to people. It It is kind of, I think, going to be hard for some people to get through. I think you really have to go into it kind of wanting to see an artsy movie, you know, we we watch a lot of independent movies, and you know, Kofi and I do a lot of reviews for independent film here. But you know, this is sort of the quintessential artsy movie of 2012, because you you know you really do have to kind of step outside of you know what you're kind of used to a lot in modern in modern cinema. I uh, think that my problem was that it felt like a really shitty silent movie. Like it didn't yeah. feel like a good silent movie. Yeah, and I mean, you can what, tell that. Yeah, and that's what my friend you know, sort of said is there was kind of a style to that that worked much better back then than it does now. Like people can't really emulate that in the same way as they could before. Um, Cause it's more than just someone pretending to do it. It's like, you know, it's an entire sort of different form of acting. And I do think by the end of it, it's pretty successful though. And I think, I think people who may have had trouble getting into it, I keep going back to this point, but it does do more than just 
you know, emulate it. So it's like, by the end of it, I think you'll be somewhat impressed by kind of how it actually makes sense of being a movie that's a silent movie, I think. Um, I, like I know that, I sort of came full circle. I like that coat scene with the chick and the coat hat thing and the where she sticks her arm in the coat and it's yeah, like that's pretty cool that was baller but that yeah. would have been awesome in like magic mike there, yeah there are some really kind of beautifully shot and interesting kind of ideas that are that are throwbacks and everything but um I, if it's a movie you're interested in checking out i would 100 percent recommend it i just you know it took me a while to be in the right mood for it so i think that'll be a problem that some of our other listeners have but i would totally encourage people to you know sort of keep coming back to it. Um, the other thing I got a chance to check out was The Help. Um, I know Rob had, I think, raved about this movie before. Loved it. Yeah. Um, I went into it with really high expectations because so many people that I know and respect really loved it, and I also loved it. Good. Um, I think it's, I think it, you know, I think it does a lot of really interesting things. It's very, very successful at being kind of a, you know, kind of a gut-wrenching drama in some ways because it was such a complicated and difficult time in America. So it, it takes its subject matter extremely seriously. Like it, it, you know, it's not hammy and it's not, you know, it's not, it's not complicated it's like, at all. White people suck. The end. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it does, it like really goes after a lot of that stuff and really shows a dark and kind of disgusting side of, you know, American history. But it, uh, it also does it with like a lot of really fun and, energetic and interesting characters like there's a really really smart balance between how it approaches some of this difficult subject matter and how it balances that out with really lovable and really really compelling characters and i mean there isn't a single character in the movie that's just like slapstick comedy like you know even the characters that are more kind of there as comic relief do have depth whether they're sort of despicable or whether or not they're really really you know emotive and people that you can really connect to it's like Steel Magnolias. <laughs> it is kind of like Steel Magnolias, I guess. Steel Magnolias is a great movie. Every man should watch it, own it. But yeah, I mean, I really, really enjoyed it. It's another one of these you know, movies I said it was on my list of shame. Like, I would 100% recommend people check it out if you get a chance. I think it's certainly, in quote, you know, I would put this in quotes, but easier movie to watch than The Artist. Again, because it does sort of play off of kind of a lot of modern sort of expectations, things that we're used to sort of seeing. We're used to dramatic films that, that can kind of hit hard, but also be in, enjoyable and entertaining. It's a really colorful and beautiful film, too. Yeah, just one point about the, the characters. That's because it has like one of the best ensemble casts of that year, I think. Yeah, I mean, you sure. cannot get a better list. Hey, Ben, I have a question. What if they all had guns and were called The Expendables? Would you watch it or would you hate it? Wait, if it was called The Expendables? I saw that in the article and that made me want to throw up. <laughs> that, that, that sounded terrible. Really funny play on words, but, but pretty terrible. Um, but I meant this cast, yeah. Oh, this cast is the Expendables. Because you hate, um, you know, women with guns and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, very true. I, I see, I see where you're going with that. Funny enough, um, it's one of those films. However, sorry, Ben. I a lot of people love love the book, and a lot of people love love the movie. But a lot of people who did read the book thought the film was lacking in certain ways because there are inevitably, you know, some certain changes to scenes and characters and stuff. But yeah. Um, yeah. I totally thought it was based on true events. Like, I, I mean, it se- like just seems like a story that probably happened. Whether or not, you know, so it's like... I know Like fried con- green tomatoes, Man, which you is also a great movie. The, yeah, you were just pulling out the uh, retro dramatic period dramas. 
Huh? Yeah, I got them all. Dramas? I guess so. Love them. So tune in next week. Ant will give us a rundown of his impressions of the Vampire Diaries. But tonight we'll be discussing The Expendables 2. First, though, it's time for our box office battle to see whose powers of predictions reign supreme this week. And as a result, who will get to recommend a film to this week's loser? <laughs> As many of you know, we're going to do a quick rundown of the past weekend's box office results, as well as offer our predictions for the top five movies that will head up ticket sales in the coming weekend. We award three points for each movie placed in the correct position on the top five list, and one point for placing a movie within one spot of the exact position. Winner gets the right to make this week's loser watch a movie or TV show of their choosing. If you'd like to play along at home, just leave a comment with your top five picks and a number 10 tiebreaker in the comment section of this week's Screen Rant Underground post, or email us at underground at screenrant.com the actuals this week at number one the expendables 2 opening with 28 million dollars at number two the born legacy with 17 million dollars for week number two at number three paranorman 14 million dollars at number four the campaign 13 million dollars at number five sparkle with 11 million dollars at number six the dark knight rises with 11 million dollars and at number 10, Total Recall with $3.4 million. Which means, in third place this week, Kofi Outlaw with eight points. Second yeah. place. Yeah, so you have Kelsey to thank for not being the loser this week, Kofi. Oh, I know. I heard her. I, I, she's, <laughs> she's added to my long list of Kofi Outlaw great proxies. Great. Kelsey, an old man, a seven-year-old boy. It's all good. I take all comers. They're and keeping, come they're all takers. In. They're keeping you alive. In second place, Anthony Ocasio with 11 Boo. points. 11 points. So the winner of this week's box office battle, who gets to recommend a movie or TV show to the loser, is Rob Keys, which means I lost this week. So Rob yep. Keys, you Fine. won again this week. You get to oh. recommend oh, You something. lost you to your lady? That's kind of sad. I know. It's sort of terrible. Now I want to win. Yeah, my lady is actually better at <laughs> predicting the box office than I am. By at least two points, looks like. Oh, and our reader winner this week, The Avenger and Deadpool both got 13 points. But unfortunately for The Avenger, Deadpool was one step closer to the tiebreaker. So Deadpool87 is the winner once again this week. So congratulations. Great, great usernames, though. I dig yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. Yeah, a lot Thank of people... you. They're both mine. Yeah, okay. All right, so Rob, what are you going to make me watch? Oh, I'm going to make you watch Vampire Diaries as well. <laughs> All of you are going to watch no. this show. Oh, my God. I don't want to watch Snow. What was the other one that See you were going to have? What was he going to have you watch? Before? Sorry, Ben, you can't do it. Nope, the rules are set. You are you want to take a pass? Do you want to take a pass? <laughs> All right, okay, I will commit. I No, I don't want to take a pass. I will commit to watching The Vampire Diaries this week so that Anthony and I can both talk about it next week in Rants and Raves. Um, no, my objective is that every episode. week we talk about this show. <laughs> Stay, stay tuned next week for our thoughts on the Vampire Diaries. Hopefully, Rob will not win again. This is getting a little bit, a uh, little bit insane. For next week, opening in theaters, The Apparition is opening in 800 plus theaters. Hit and Run, 2,700 theaters, and Premium oh. Rush, 2,100 theaters. Um, Ooh, Hit and Run opens open. on Wednesday too. If that makes a difference to anybody, I'm gonna go. Ex- the Expendables 2, I'm at number one. The Apparition at number two. We'll, let's try The Born Legacy at three. Premium Rush at four. Uh, hit and Run opens Wednesday. Uh, yeah, we'll put that at five. 
And for 10, Sparkle. Okay. Anthony. Okay. Number one, Expendables 2. Number two, Hit and Run. Number three, Born. Legacy. Number four, Premium Rush. And number five, Paranorman. Number 10, Hero Dreams of Sushi. And Rob totally forgot that Ben said that the apparition is only opening in 800 theaters. I did. Abuya. I know I you said it, but Rob forgot. Oh, Rob forgot. Oh, he. Watch. I know. I'm very aware. But that's <laughs> you don't know the actual number of theaters it's opening in. It's not 800. But that's okay. Thanks for the advice. If you <laughs> fucked me on this, Ben, this week, I automatically win. Wait, what the fuck is opening? Where? Where? Where's the link to this? Who is this guy? Alright, got it. Never mind. It's like you're like Waldo Geraldo Faldo from Family Matters. You just like show up eating and you're just like, what? Let's check this out. What's going on? Okay, Kofi. Alright, so I'm going to do number one expendables. Yeah, I'm going to do the apparition as number two. Born as three. Paranorman as four. Premium Rush as five. Odd Life of Timothy Green as number ten. Ben, how many. How many theaters does the plus mean on 800 plus? Like, it's not 800 plus 2,000, is it? No, I mean, it just means it's opening in more than 800 theaters. I'm, I don't have it on mine either, so we'll go down together either. So I have at number one The Expendables 2. I have Hit and Run at number two. I have The Born Legacy at number three. I have Paranorman at number four. I have Premium Rush at number five. And I have number 10, Hope Springs. Tune in next week to see who gets to recommend a film to the loser. That's going to bring us to our review of The Expendables 2. The Expendables are back, and this time it's personal. Barney Ross, Lee Christmas, Yin Yang, Gunnar Jensen, Toll Road... And Hail Caesar, with newest members Billy the Kid and Maggie, are reunited. I like how the girl doesn't even have a last name. Are reunited when Mr. Church enlists the Expendables to take on the seemingly simple job. The task looks like an easy paycheck for Barney and his band of old school mercenaries. But when things go wrong and one of their own is viciously killed, the Expendables are compelled to seek revenge in the hostile territory where the odds are stacked against them. Hellbent on payback, the crew cuts a swath of destruction through opposing forces, wreaking havoc, and shutting down an unexpected threat in the nick of time. Six pounds of weapons-grade plutonium, enough to change the balance of power in the world. But that's nothing compared to the justice they serve against the villainous adversary who savagely murdered their brother. That is done the Expendables way. And that is the <laughs> longest synopsis I've ever had to read for a movie that has basically no plot. <laughs> you made me feel like I'm about ready to watch a sci-fi movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, the way that that description just kept going. Alright, Kofi. So I reviewed The Expendables 2. I gave it 3.5 out of 5 stars for us. Me, it's a very good movie. And I felt that The Expendables has always been a kind of basic premise. You know, we are going to look at Action icons, specifically guys from like the 80s and 90s, some from the 80s, get together on screen and just kick a lot of ass together. And it was supposed to be fun and just kind of stupid and violent and very kind of, you know, a throwback to these types of films, which are by and large outdated now. These kind of machismo action flicks, which I have cleverly titled Macho Cheese, because it, you know, rhymes with nacho cheese. 
But these macho cheese action flicks of the 80s and 90s uh, with their one-liners and their impossible action where a guy like kills a room full of 100 people and doesn't even get scratched himself and all that stuff that we grew up on was supposed to be reflected in these films. The first film tried to do this but completely screwed it up because of Sylvester Stallone's directorial style, style which included handy camming it, shaky cam, digital blood – all this stuff. So it wasn't even a throwback. It was like a bastardized version of modern action movie making with with old action stars. They did these ridiculous things in the plot to try to like humanize or add depth to the characters like Mickey Rourke giving crying speeches and things like that. And it was ridiculous. I tried to love that movie, but I hated it because it, it screwed up the simplest premise in the world. Well, I'm happy to report that The Expendables 2 basically gets right what Expendables two, what what Expendables one messed up. Director Simon West, who directed uh, famously Con Air, he comes on and he stages and he makes. It's not even a very well directed film, but it's just competent enough that it you you get just what you would expect from it. Just loads of violence, over the top, crazy, cartoonish violence. Um, and a lot of guys just running around, acting machismo, spitting crazy you know, one-liners that are once fun to laugh with and laugh at, and just a big heaping plate of macho cheese. I mean, this is like the epitome of going to a movie theater and ordering the extra deluxe nachos with the melted, you know, cheese in the plastic cup and sitting back, and if you could turn that into a movie, this would be that movie, but it is wonderfully delicious in its own terrible way. Um, The Expendables 2 is a hell of a lot of fun, There are some great, I mean, this movie alone for just the meta factor for as many kind of illusions and meta moments that are in the movie are, is incredible. And if you are a fan of the action movie genre, you will see this movie and just understand it and love it on a whole other level because you get like a lot of the subtle references, some of the not so subtle references from everything to the fact of like characters from different franchises, like trading off one-liners and like you know, stealing each other's one-liners to the to like references to the fact that Dolph Lundgren is like a real life physicist and things like that. Like, there's all these kind of insider jokes, and it's just a lot of fun. And even when you try to believe that you've progressed as like a film watcher and you're more sophisticated, you're older now. There are just moments in this film where you just can't help but kind of giggle and laugh and be like, "Oh my god, this is awesome!" Because you're just seeing, you know, something that you just enjoy so much for just the sheer aesthetic pleasure of seeing it and to me that is the joy of the expendables too rob yeah i think for the most part i agree it's definitely from a technical technical standpoint a very very clean or much more cleaner film than the first one uh but yeah this is an exception to the rule this is like kofi was saying an event film if you love these guys you love this type of 80s action you're going to get a ton of that, and it's going to be awesome because of all these references and pop culture icons in here, just like Kofi was saying. But if you really dig down, uh, it is a shame that there's a lot of wasted opportunities. I thought the idea of bringing Arnold and Bruce Willis into the story and giving the bigger roles was wasted. Their introduction sucked. I didn't actually think their delivery of one-liners was very good or effectively done. I was rolling my eyes instead of giggling and laughing. I thought it was dumb. 
Uh, however, Chuck Norris, I thought, was, was really funny how he was used. Uh, but like the introductions of those three characters, and even uh, the new characters played by Hemsworth and Nan Yu, all those five introductions were like crappy. And these scenes should be badass, but they weren't. Uh, but they did have their their cool action moments as it went on. I thought Nan Yu was actually a strong addition to the cast, and uh, Chuck Norris was hilarious. Willis and Arnold, very very weak, weak action, weak dialogue, weak one liners. Did not like that. Um, I, I loved. Fucking loved Jean-Claude Van Damme as the bad guy. He was a highlight for me. Uh, I, I thought Hemsworth stole a spotlight because he basically had the spotlight for, for the intro of the film. Uh, of course, Scott Atkins is in this. He deserves an Oscar. He's the, the greatest actor in the world. Uh, he's so good in this. I'm not being serious about the acting, but he's such an action star. I'm, fine. I'm glad he got a role in this. I wish it was a bigger role and he had a little more depth as a, as a, as a villain of sorts, but he was great. And, and to see him as Jean-Claude Van Damme again after Assassination Games and after Universal Soldier, uh, and they're doing another Universal Soldier together. It was very cool seeing all of that. But yeah, I mean, this is, you're going to have a ton of fun. You'll ignore all the little problems. You'll ignore like the, the continuity issues and the action scenes. Um, they do really pimp up the, the action sequences for each character, especially like Jason Statham. Like, he gets a way, 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 way bigger action set piece and, like, his own little boss battle as well. Um, Stallone was was cool. But yeah, like, I can just go on and on listening to these characters, but definitely a step up, I think, from the first one. But I think, like the first film, the first time I watched it, I had to, like, just get through the one-liners and weak parts, and then when you watch it again, you're, it's all fun. And it's definitely a film, like, the first one that grows on you. Uh, the first one did have a lot of problems, but I do recommend that if you want to watch both or go see the first one before seeing this, you watch the director's cut because Stallone changed it up. But uh, the problem with this is that even though Simon West took over the directorial side of it, Stallone still has his hands on the screenplay, and I think he just cannot do modern dialogue or witty or funny bits as well as anyone else could. I wish he was just starring in it and giving his ideas to somebody else and they could write it and someone else could direct it. But I really hope that's how they spend those three uh, happens. Yeah, I think I'm in a similar boat in terms of like the Stallone stuff. It's like I basically agree with everything you guys have been saying. I agree like with Kofi in just terms of like what it is and sort of you know just being able to enjoy it. And I think Kofi, you sort of hit the nail on the head when you said like no matter how sort of distinguished of a moviegoer you think you are, you know you find yourself while watching this movie you know, sort of smiling and giggling at things that you're almost, like, embarrassed to be smiling or giggling at. Like, I am not a huge action junkie. Like, I do enjoy action films, and, I mean, we've, you know, obviously talked about plenty of them on the podcast that are sort of brain... Like, I like Total Recall more than everybody else, but, but I, you know, I probably have, like, a... Uh, I mean, that was not a ringing endorsement of the movie. I just liked it more than other people, than especially Rob. But, um... You know, I've, I can be won over by action, but I'm not like a rah-rah military guy, and I'm not like a big rah-rah, like, mow people down with mini guns and blood everywhere type guys. But there were definitely moments in this movie where there was just so much stuff being blown up and people being splattered all over the place and one-liners being slung everywhere and just totally over-the-top insane things that I totally got swept up in and enjoyed you know, a good portion of it. But I do also, I think, you know, a major point that I was going to hit is similar to what you're saying, Rob, is just that for all that it kind of gets right in that way, it almost goes, like, too far. Like, it's almost too reliant on sort of its own nostalgia or something. And so it ends up thinking it's a lot funnier and a lot cooler than it actually is, I think. Um, and that happens a lot in terms of, like, dialogue and story beats that, like, Stallone was clearly, like, involved in, where he sort of, 
you know, was trying to be true to these characters or something and, you know, give everybody moments. And it some of the moments, like, it's just there's so much going on and there's so many one-liners being thrown around that it is really hard to pick out, like, the good ones and the things that are really funny and stuff like that. Um, because it's, like, it's, like, too... It's not that it's too much of a good thing because collectively it doesn't even, you know, like, I don't even think all of the individual things work. But... Um, but it kind of ends up being that sort of thing where there's just so much happening that it's not easy enough to appreciate the ones that are better than the ones that don't work, I guess. But, um, you know, despite all that, I definitely did have fun watching it. I think basically I had fun watching it because of the first 10 minutes and the last 20 minutes, maybe. Um, I could have probably done away with every single other thing that happened in the middle of the movie and saw the first and last 20 minutes like twice and would have enjoyed the movie more than all of the sort of attempts at being dramatic or attempts at character drama that are sort of punctuate the middle portion of the movie. Um, I mean, there are like some very, very laughable and I don't think intentionally cliched sort of story things that happens. Um, mm. You know, I don't think they're intentional riffs necessarily. I think Stallone and, and, you know, some of the screenwriters actually thought those things would be moving or profound. Um, I'm thinking especially of a scene between Stallone and Yoon, that, uh, the Maggie character, that, um, you know, is, is supposed to be really profound and is just really, really thin and, you know, kind of laughable. Um, and all that stuff really bogs down the middle portion of the film. I also think that some of the sort of quote-unquote cameos, some of the people who aren't part of the main team that show up are are kind of, um, some of them sort of get moments that are really cool and stuff, but some of them come across as really awkward. Anthony and I were talking about one in specific that we'll talk about in spoilers later. But um, some of those, I think, you know, it's almost like, again, kind of too much stuff is being thrown in and not all of it is of the same quality. Um, and some of the guys are very much more obviously out of their acting days than other ones. Like, it really is them having to dust off these sort of personalities that they had at one point. Whereas some of them seem like, you know, they can totally dust it off. Like, I think Jean-Claude Van Damme actually does a pretty good job of sort of stepping back into this world, into a, you know, into a AAA title, you know, and, and being kind of a compelling villain. But I would, you know, especially make the argument that um, Chuck Norris is, is pretty sort of out of place and, and kind of bizarre in terms of like yeah. <laughs> actual performance in the movie, his character could work, but his performance is kind of weird. Um, and Dolph Lundgren, like as much as I love him, he is, he's bizarre. Like the way that he is in these movies, there are like so many scenes where Dolph Lundgren's character, like is standing around with a gun and it looks, it doesn't look real. Like it doesn't look like a person who was an action star. It looks like someone who never was an action star trying to look like an action star or something. So, but some of that works to the advantage of the film. Like some of that, I actually think sort of endeared me to it because it's kind of a hot mess. But I don't know if I would have gone through. The thing was clearly like a feedback to his Universal Soldier character the whole time. I mean, that's always what he's been in the series. Is he's sure. kind of like riffing on his Universal Soldier character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I don't think like I didn't have a problem with like the character beats. It's more like literally like he doesn't look comfortable. You're with using the fancy words in this movie. Character beats. <laughs> Like, well, what the fuck are but you he talking doesn't, about? What I was saying, though, is he like, doesn't look... What the fuck you're talking about? Okay, he doesn't look comfortable, like, holding, like, a gun anymore. Like, it's not convincing to me when he's, like, 
standing there, like, protecting the downed airplane, like, he looked awkward. Like, if you paused him in that scene, he didn't look like someone who was military trained. He looked like someone who was kind of well, acting here's, or something. Well, here's like. the thing. I have to say for the record that I am of the opinion that The Expendables 2 is just one of the smartest satire, you know, ironic, hipster, ironic, you know, movies ever made. Because my mind would have exploded if I had to take it all at like complete face value seriousness. Um, I think cause the, I think the script is just purposefully like every action movie cliche that you could see coming from a mile away. And I think that there's a joke with Lundgren, like where he's constantly kind of making a joke in the movie and you're laughing at him. They're playing on a real kind of life thing, which is like, this guy is like highly educated, you know, Dolph right. Lundgren's actually like a highly educated, you know, smart, intelligent person, but he's just playing, but he's always playing like these action movie kind of, you know, I mean, he's most famous for playing in these terrible action movies of like The Punisher or Universal Soldier, in the latter of which he's playing this complete madman. And I think they keep making like sly little jokes about it. Like he's like, you know, I have a, you know, all, while he's acting weird and crazy the whole time, he's like, I have, you know, degrees in physics and I know things and stuff like that. And everybody's like, yeah, whatever, man. But, you know, it's just kind of riffing on, like, real-life stuff. I mean, I just took this as, like, a wing. I could not believe, like, any of this literally as a movie. I just couldn't. And I think for me, um, we're going to get a spoiler. I'm not going to spoil anything. But I think from the opening scene, like, for me, that's what kind of made me relax. I saw the opening scene and I was like, okay, I don't really have to take anything in this movie seriously. Like, right. and I think that is established quickly and early on that we are going to move, see a movie where these guys are like superheroes of mercenaryhood. You know, they sling down a line and hardly anybody gets shot. And then they just point their guns at something and it just goes boom into a million pieces. You know, there's not real drama. There's no real physics to these firefights. It is literally like, one of my favorite things in this movie in the middle is to just look at the different action stars and see who has the best gun face. Schwarzenegger for the win, for my money. But they just sure. put on that scowl on their face, and they're just like, boom, 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 and things are just going, you know, like, in every sure. fucking direction. Like, right. and that's I all guess, like, I What I'm saying is, like, I think some of them have, like, really unconvincing gun faces, I guess is what I'm saying. Anthony, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like... I feel like maybe I've grown up. I feel like the episode of South Park where everything where Stan grows up and he thinks everything is shit now. I really didn't like it. I really didn't like Expendables too. I thought it was just really slow and not fun intellectually or even visually. I thought the you know blowing stuff up is cool or whatever, but the fight scene when it comes to like hand to hand fight scenes. A lot of those were just big motions of just one hit. And I don't know. I think maybe seeing Dread and seeing the raid, I've just, all my sensors have been blown with like action and blood <laughs> and fighting. And then when you see the Expendables, these dudes can't move that fast. And they look like they can't move that fast. Like, I don't know what happened between Expendables 1 and Expendables 2. But Stallone looks like he can't do half the shit that he used to be able to do. 
Schwarzenegger. I don't even know what happened to Schwarzenegger. But Dude, you, can you can barely understand awkward. him. You can't, you can't say that. A lot has happened to Stallone since Expendables 1 and Expendables 2. Okay, well, you know what I'm talking about. Stuff, but, like, yeah. It's just a really weird movie. And Bruce Willis is in it. Okay, kind of. He's in it. John Clan Van Damme, he's a weirdo. He plays a weirdo. Chuck Norris, nobody wants to mess with Chuck Norris, so they just make him show up out of nowhere. When you see the posters of The Expendables, it's basically saying all of these people will be at the, in the movie at some point. Maybe not together, maybe not the entire way through, maybe just a couple times. But all these people are in this movie, and I, I don't know. I don't like it. I, I think I'm burning out on this type of thing. I, it just didn't click with me, and I was very upset about it. I thought that I liked the first one. And everything that you guys are saying about like the jokes and the one-liners and them trying to get ironic, I don't think that's the case either. I'm with Ben. I think Stallone is like, this would be fucking awesome. You're going to say my catchphrase, I'm going to say your catchphrase. All the one-liners and the little nods and everything, I don't think they're as ironic as... So Stallone thinking that it's really cool and awesome and it's going to be really awesome and nobody really cares, that's the thing the only two people that care are Simon West and the other dude that Stallone helped work with him on the script, even though Stallone could change anything he wanted at any point I'm just saying, I think it shows the weakness of, have, of you know, when you do this type of thing and you don't have any outside voice or drive because this movie could be really, really awesome and right now it's kind of it's kind of coolie, coolio. Yeah, dude. I'm sort of with you. It's when they try to add the other guys in and, and don't do it in an effective way. And that's why I keep saying the introductions and like the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger part was useless. Because if you break down, okay, we'll get into spoilers very quickly. But like Schwarzenegger's role, like he gets a crappy introduction. He's not very funny. He says some stupid shit. He's got this like, and then what you see of him in the rest of the film is all everything from the trailers and the previews. And basically, it's him shooting a shotgun in a little car. And it's just so goofy and just like you're saying about chuck norris they could have used those guys in such a cool way and give them badass moments with their action whether it's using a no they can't yes they can exactly it's it's over for these guys these guys don't have like genuine cool moments left it's just like the trailers for the new Stallone and Schwarzenegger movie. Instead of having them say, oh, I'm old, or I'm talking about records because I'm old, have them pull out a gun and shoot four guys in the face. It's like, oh, man, this guy's badass. Instead of him saying something stupid and falling over like an idiot because it's a joke, let's stop making fun of them and use them in a way that's still badass. That's my problem with this, and that's what the same thing I saw in those two shitty trailers for The Last Stand, and I forget what the other one's called. Oh, it's the, the same problem I had with the three big characters I was excited about in this one. But I think the film was effective with, with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and then the core team. I think they just didn't use everyone else that well. And I think it's the same problem Anthony was touching on. You need like a big-time director to do his own story. Stallone can throw him his ideas, and then those guys can just be players in somebody else's bigger story. And then you could do such a cool thing. The fact that they can get all these guys together is such an amazing thing. Now let's do something cool with it. And I really hope they learn from this shit when it comes time for Expendables 3. Yeah. Um... Yeah, no, I, mean, I guess I'm just on the side of the fence that I don't think, I don't believe in nostalgia anymore. I think we have this oversaturation of nostalgia whenever, because of it, and it gets, you know, sparked by all these talks of remakes and bringing people back and long delayed sequels. And when everybody goes, oh, this is going to be the greatest because this movie was the greatest. And it's like, no, that's just nostalgia. 
But these guys were in what are ostensibly, if we were to look back, if we were to look back at these films with like the real critical eye that we've hopefully developed doing this as a living now, you know, Commando would be a piece of shit. You know, any number of these, Die Hard 2, which I love, is dear to my heart and will not, not sit down and watch again from start to finish because I'm scared I'll hate it now because that was important for me. Like, these are all not great movies, and the genre they were in was not a great genre, um, which is why it has evolved into, like, the sensitive the sensitive kick-ass of the 21st century, where each kick-ass action hero has to spend, like, a portion of the movie, like, brooding, because he's troubled and everything, and he's sensitive, and he doesn't want to kick ass, he's just forced into it, you know? And then he kicks ass for, like, the last third of the movie. That's, like, where we're at now. So these guys are coming from a genre that isn't that that was never really that great or accomplished, and you know performances that certainly weren't, and they're older now. And it's not just the screenwriting; it's these guys are in control of their personas, and most of their personas have to do with stuff that they don't necessarily want to pretend to be those badasses. I mean, they are making fun of themselves, like we're old and all that. And I think it's just good old-fashioned aging where they've just embraced the fact that they're just older dudes now, and they just acknowledge this in film because it's not like they're trying to play the badass anymore. I mean, there's a time in their lives where, you know, I'm sure Schwarzenegger probably had an ego to the point where there was a time in his life he would never say the words, I'm old, or anything like that. He'd be like, I'm still more fit than any man here. I still rip your arm off, you know, like all this shit. But, like, he's... Just an older guy who's been through politics, his perspective has changed. Like, I don't think these guys want, and I know, I know for a fact, just when I was watching Norris, I was just like, oh, wow. I was like, Chuck Norris probably wouldn't let them shoot him, like, well, ironically enough, shooting anybody or committing that, a bunch of violent acts when he was doing that because that would violate his kind of, like, you know, Christian, you know, beliefs and campaigning. So, you know, I, I'm sure he was very, and we know from behind the scenes that he was very tightly controlling about, you know, what he would do on screen and, like, what he would be kind of associated with in the parts of the movie he was in. And there was even a fear that Chuck Norris's kind of conservatism could even knock this movie down to a PG-13, which is a laughable thought now that we've seen the finished product. But, you know, I just think these guys are just... They're aging action stars, and this is just self parody is just where they're at. I mean, that's just it. You don't right. find like guys like Statham in the movie like self parodying because that guy's got a career. Yeah. I mean, he just kicks ass and like kind of sits back and lets the old dogs kind of make fun of themselves because he's got a career left in the genre. Those other guys are just at the point of self parody, like literally self parody. I don't necessarily think I disagree with you. I just don't. I don't know if it like. I guess for me, it didn't like work quite as well as it did for you i mean i like i but i appreciate like what you're saying and i do think it's interesting because they are at a very different time in their life um there were a lot of moments in this where i was kind of surprised that the guys were sort of winking and nodding at each other as much as they were and and there was some fun moments that kind of come out of that for sure um but i don't know it you know it's it's inter- i also do agree though that a lot of those like old films don't necessarily hold up either and you know i don't know exactly like what that sort of says about you know, whether or not this film will be successful for everybody or not, I don't know. I mean, I I kind of wonder sometimes when I watch, like, The Expendables, like, what somebody who, 
you know, didn't grow up on those films would like think of this like movie, like if they would just like sort of revel in the violence of it, or if it would just be that they'd sort of be like, who are all, all these old guys and like, what are they doing? You know, and why should I care? But, um, because like the, you know, a lot of the violence and the action sequences in this aren't like not, there are very few of them that are choreographed in a way that is anything better or more interesting than a lot of, you know, and Ant, you kind of mentioned that. I mean, if you want to see, crazy hand-to-hand action watch the raid if you want to see you know a, a kind of grounded gritty like you know sort of i don't know like action infiltration movie like watch dread 3d you know i mean like like we have like other versions of these things that are maybe a little bit more compelling so it, you know i guess it's just kind of the movie works at some level because it's got all of these different things going for it but um but I don't know. I will say, though, that there were some cool sequences that I really did appreciate. Like, I liked the opening sequence, and I liked the last sequence. I think I mentioned that earlier. Um, I thought some of Jason Statham's stuff was actually pretty great this round. Like, you know, some of his, like, hand-to-hand combat Yeah, stuff. I called his, that out, too. Yeah, his knife-throwing stuff, yeah. Like, I, I liked all that stuff. I mean, he had some really, actually, pretty impressive sequences that weren't just single shots. Like, a lot of it was broken up, and it's like, here he throws the knives, and here he's spinning around, and but there were a couple moments where I think he does some like relatively difficult sort of stuff that, that is slung together with some other difficult stuff. He goes full transporter in that one scene. Yeah. His char- his character is probably the most underused in this one out of like the expendable. Well, we're going to spoil this, but some characters are literally just dumped. Yeah. Well, you know. for sure. Yeah. yeah, for sure. We might as well just move into spoilers anyway. Yeah, let's but. get to spoilers. All right. From this point on, we'll be discussing story beats and plot details that will no doubt be filled with spoilers for The Expendables 2, as well as probably the first Expendables film. If you don't want to be spoiled, skip to the end of the podcast for our mailbag segment, Twitter handles, and information on how to contact us, which you can also find in the show notes, as well as our Game Rant News Brief. You have been warned. Spoilers for The Expendables 2. Spoiler alert! All right, well, yeah, let's just start out talking about, you know, the biggest twist in the movie, or at least, you know, sort of the biggest spoiler. L- Liam Hemsworth killed after about 25 minutes. After they spend, like, like probably five minutes, like, really setting his character up as this badass sniper that, like, is shooting two dudes at a time with, like, one shot, like, taking guys out. And then, you know, he has this great personal story that you're sort of rooting for. Just killed. Dead. Basically, <laughs> totally pointlessly, too, because, like... No, they, but this like, is like no. this is what I mean about this film. This is why this film is to me like a smart kind of satire is more than it is a serious action movie. Is the first thing I saw Liam Hemsworth, I was like, "Wow, this guy is Ensign Ricky." Oh, right, yes. And if you don't know what that means, if you're listening, Ensign Ricky is from a episode of Family Guy where they did a parody of the Star Trek red shirts. If you don't know what the Star Trek red shirts are, it's like in Star Trek the original series. When you know they had these color coded shirts, but whenever they had a character who was like going down on the planet to the dangerous planet with Kirk and them, they would be in a red shirt. It would be some person doing like a bit walk on role for Star Trek. And whenever the monster on the planet was going to react and kill one of the crew to kind of set up these dangerous stakes, it would also it would always be the guy in the red shirt. Whatever kind of person was doing a little walk on role would always be the person who got killed. And you always knew they were going to be the that somebody was going to die because after a while, if you were smart enough, because you could like watch Star Trek and just be like, okay, oh, a red shirt's in the group. Somebody's going to die on this planet. And Family Guy named that guy Ensign Ricky. 
They were like, okay, we're going down this dangerous planet. It's going to be me, Kirk, Spock, Bones, and Ensign Ricky. And it's like, I hope everybody comes back alive. Yeah. And it's like, okay, Ensign Ricky. And literally, when Liam Hemsworth, when they introduced him and they did the whole as soon as he starts saying, oh, this life isn't for me. Yeah, I want to get out of this. Oh, life. yeah, this life. I was like, oh, shit, Anson Ricky, <laughs> you're going to be dead soon. Yeah, well, it was like, it was okay, hold smart. on. The reason that I said that it was pointless, I wasn't saying that, because, like, I get it. He's the motor of the story, right? Like, yeah. he gets killed, then he said, but, like, I meant he gets killed pointlessly because had they just shot Jean-Claude Van Damme, like, he oh, would yeah. have executed Ensign Ricky. And then, like, there yeah, wouldn't have been the whole rest of the story. You're, it's like, you're applying smart, critical logic to, like, something <laughs> that was clearly a throwback to every action movie. I mean, sure. you could just no, sit I back know, and be I like, know. okay, this guy is going to be Edson Ricky. He's getting killed, and now it's personal. You're like, right. I was just waiting for those lines. Right. Like, now it's personal. Well, and that's in the synopsis, like, for sure. Is the, and yeah, it's and it's personal. just like, it was just like, come on. Like, I knew, I mean, this is every action movie you've, you've ever seen. My partner got killed. Now it's personal. Right. Like, yeah. this is like the whole thing. And, and you knew he was going to die. He's like, it's my last day on the job. I'm going to retire with my girl. <laughs> and we're going to have a beautiful life. And I was like, oh, shit. Wait, no, hold on. You also forgot the scene where he, like the where Maggie is sitting on the plane ignoring everybody. And then is for some reason is compelled for him to tell like a five minute long story about why he doesn't like the military anymore because they like didn't rescue him and his men and then shot his dog. Yeah, like well, <laughs> to his credit, like that, I actually like that because I think Hemsworth's performance was actually really, really strong for his yeah. very limited he's, role, and you could tell he was so out of place for a ton of reasons. One, he's young; he's not this established superstar. He's there one as a marketing point to get a younger audience in there because Liam Hemsworth, just like his brother, is a hot thing in Hollywood now. And uh, this movie isn't about young hot stars, right? So you can't you can't have him there. So it, it was smart for them to kill him off and use him as a plot device, and. You, like, he totally was, like, the, the spotlight for the first 15, 20 minutes as soon as we saw his introduction. But yeah, one weird thing about his character, though, how did he get on that plane when they were flying away? Oh, uh, they never they never solved that. They said they'd pick him up later, and <laughs> yeah. then they flew away, but somehow he was on the plane. Well, That's so, the first thing I said. Here's my I said, how the fuck do you get on the plane? Here's where my mind went. I <laughs> Sky thought, harness. I thought for a minute maybe he got left behind and then, like, had some crazy grudge, and he was, like, one of the villains. Because <laughs> they're so old, they're like, "Oh yeah. shit, where's that young guy?" Yeah. I think it was just implied, like later, right though, that he like he probably hiked to the forest and they like scooped him up on the other side of the river. It was weird editing because like, yeah, what? Well, did he just barely make it over that bridge and they're flying away? And the next scene, it's cut to him walking in the cockpit. Yeah, and I was like, "What?" You're like, "Hey, it's a missing section." What's up, Benson, Ricky? I yeah. don't know. I think you guys are making giving a lot of bullshit excuses for a terrible film because the first movie clearly wasn't supposed to be a scary movie. So you can't say that this movie's all scary movie and then say, "Well, clearly the reason why we didn't see him get okay, picked up on the airplane." Hold on, is because uh, they were just they were just being ironic about the way that people just always seem to show up in the same airplane together after they fight each other. Like, you could clearly use that as an excuse with your whole line of, oh, they're parodying this and this. But at some level, someone is wants to make a real movie, and that person is Stallone. Stallone's not sitting there making, like, quips and, like, one-liners. He's saying, this is going to be cool. And I watched the Expendables documentary. I watched him make that first movie. And every part of that movie, he was like, this is going to be awesome. When they're changing lines, he's like, I told my, my character should totally say that. He's like, yeah, do that, do that. 
stuff like that. Like he's making a serious movie, and you can't. I think you're giving excuses to a movie that doesn't deserve excuses. Well, and Stallone needs to take is a, a walking self-parody and has been for a while. Like, what are we talking about here? You saw Rocky Balboa, right? You saw yeah. Rambo, right? Yeah. You, you like remember Rambo. the line that when you're pushed too far, killing's as easy as breathing. You remember that, right? Like, we all remember these lines, okay? So, like, if you don't pick up that this guy is a walking self-parody by now, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I think Stallone is definitely trying to make, like, a great movie. But I don't think that the people around him, and I don't think he wrote the script just alone for this. I think there were other people, right? Yeah, there were yeah, there was other guys. Yeah, and, and Simon West, I think they are kind of like, whatever you say, man. <laughs> and I think Simon West is kind of in on the joke in this because the direction of that opening sequence for me like i was kind of critical because i fucking hated the first expendables like i really hated the first one i got i'll tell the story really quick again i got a whole bunch of my guy friends we went out for our usual like night out drinking thursday night we went to a bar we got all like man drinks in us and stuff we got in the theater we were ready and we went to the midnight showing, and it was the worst movie. Like, I laughed so hard out of, like, half madness, half anger through the first Expendables because it was so bad. This one, the first, so I was ready to, like, pounce all over this one. That opening sequence just immediately establishes what kind of world we are in. These guys, like, go driving through this town of villains in these vehicles, and they are just, like, literally just, like, like a video game, just pointing their guns and blowing the shit out of everything. And, like, the big deal is Stallone on a zip line through a jungle full of people shooting at them. It's like, oh my god, I got hit twice. Like, and then he's actually making jokes. He's like, why do I always get hit? And everybody else is like, fine. And, like, all they do is they go in and just destroy this entire, like, armed fortress of guards walking through. Like, there's never a moment of danger to any of them. There's never, like, oh, my God, if they don't use, do something smart, somebody's going to get killed. They just literally walk through. Terry Crews walks through the Expendables, pointing that gun at different things and just making things blow up. That's all he does. And I was like, okay, well, this is not, like, real-world espionage or military tactics. This is, like, fantasy superhero shit. This is like, we are the unkillable superhero. We can just go through a horde of bad guys and never have to, like, duck for cover. All we got to do is shoot. Yeah. Like, if, and it's not meant to be... T- and, I, and after that, I was like, okay, well, I'm not supposed to take this as realistic. Or, like, you know, anything close to being anything except, like... And the only thing I could take it as, again, is a parody of movies that used to be like that. Where that's where it was, like, the, that was the so, you know, the quote-unquote physics of the movie. I have a question. If you could go back and watch, if I gave you $10 and you could walk into a movie theater and watch the entire Expendables 2 again, or watch the first and last scene twice, like they would play like once and then you get to watch them again, like which one, which theater would you go into? I'd watch the whole thing. Yeah, I would too. Even though I agree with you, Ben, those are the best parts. I still watch the whole thing. I just like I was like loving the movie during those two parts and then like everything in between like I really was pretty bored out of my mind. I thought there was like definitely even moments where I was like okay something needs to happen. And like I was actually kind of shocked that things like weren't something wasn't happening. Like there's kind of like one action scene, I can't remember which one it is, but it's not the one in the town, but there's one that's like before that that's a nothing action scene. It's I think it's the plane scene. 
And I was kind of like, man, for a movie that's supposed to have all these like crazy action guys in it, there aren't a lot of action scenes. And even that one that's in the town is kind of short-lived. Like, it's not all that exciting or anything. So it really is like an action movie where there's only two really significant action sequences that are really worth your time. And a lot of people just sort of standing around shouting out, like, one-liners. But Yeah. And then of- you thinking... Oh, so is Schwarzenegger going to come back, or do we just see his stupid ass in the beginning? And then you're like, oh no, he comes back. That was really weird. Why the fuck did he come back like that? And then Bruce Willis, you're just like, well, nobody likes Bruce Willis, so he's going to be in this movie as le- like the least amount as possible. And uh, I don't know. I didn't like it. But I did like the fact that Nan Yu was the only woman in the movie, and everyone, every expendable made it like she was Cinderella like she was the belle of the ball like she was the most beautiful woman and they had to like get with her and I was thinking this woman is not attractive what maybe it's this is parody or something but I thought that was crazy well I told you we were talking about this before the podcast but I told you too you can't have like a legitimately hot chick interested in like Stallone at this point that's have you seen Stallone's wife well, she's she's beautiful. Is she? I don't know. I haven't seen Stallone's one. I watched the Expendables documentary. She looked beautiful to me. Jean Claude Van Damme as the villain. I oh, actually really, loved him. Yeah, I really loved him. I thought it was pretty hilarious too that they like made at least like three or four reasons for him to be able to jump up in the air and kick still. Also, that was, like his move. Oh man, you know, I thought he was his mannerisms were very funny. He, he was really into the role and very comfortable in front of the camera. I love that. He really got into good shape too. Like his arms are huge, but he's very slim. Great, great, great shape. And yeah, he still do the jump kick. But man, he wears sunglasses underground in a dark tunnel. How awesome is that? Oh, it's super awesome. What are we fucking... I can't even play along with this. What? That, I, it's ridiculous. Jean-Claude Van Damme is good in this movie because Jean-Claude Van Damme hasn't acted differently since he's been in those movies. Like, we think Actually, this is an awesome scene. What? Don't well, even say acting classes. His acting is much improved since JC. Big time. Big time. But... Improved. That's like saying I put a bow on a piece of poop. It's a better piece of poop, but <laughs> it's still not going to win an Oscar. Just, John Glenn Van Damme didn't even learn the lines to the script to this movie. He's a you weird dude. He, I'm no, he totally. You were very wrong about that. He totally did not learn the lines of the script because Randy Couture was been going around telling everyone how John Clan John Claude Van Damme did not learn any of the lines to his script. He would show up to set, raise his hands in the air, say some goofy spiritual shit, and let the spirits bring the words of the script to him. Which is a better plan than relying on Sylvester Stallone's writing. Yep. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. That's what we're working with, people. We're working with Chuck Norris, who won't be next to anyone who has boobs. Then you have Sylvester Stallone, who just wants to shoot sit. Then you have Jason Statham, who's richer than all these motherfuckers. Then you have Jet Li, who's better than all these motherfuckers, but they won't let him do anything on his own in movies. And then you have this dude who's raising his hands up in the air, trying to get his own script in his head from the spirits. This movie is a pile of shit. I don't care how you got, like, everything that I'm saying, you're like, yeah, yeah, that's how you do it. And I'm saying it as, like, this, this is no reason that this movie can be anything than what it was trying to be, which it clearly isn't. Like, you made it into something good. Like, you gave it a No, re- I mean, I didn't. I think other people have enjoyed it on the same kind of level that I did. Okay, I was giving you credit. It's like, this- how the fuck did you enjoy Smallville? This, to me, is like a Smallville equation. 
Like, Smallville no. is a piece of shit for what it is, too, but it's somehow kitschy and enjoyable. So is it was always the same thing. You're saying that Expendables went from being a hardcore action film in Expendables to scary movie. That would be like saying that Crank 1 was like a parody, and then Crank 2 was this award-winning drama. Like, you can't change genres and types. Let me, let me explain to you the evolution of the Expendables franchise. Expendables 1, Sly Stallone was like, I'm going to make a serious movie about aging, you know, action people, and it's going to be filled with Mickey Rourke crying and delivering soliloquies and shit like that. And somewhere between the first and second movie, everybody's like, look, man, good je- this is a good idea, but you got to jettison all this drama shit and just blow shit up. And Sly Stallone was like, hey, you know, I think you might be right about that. And so they started like, <laughs> you know, they just started blowing shit up instead and, and cracking jokes, cracking jokes, knocking fists and blowing shit up. And that's just what it got reduced to. Do you hear any long, deep speeches? Here's a long, deep speech in Expendables 2. We keep it lighthearted until we have to get black and then we get pitch black. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> there you go. That's the depth of the drama in Expendables 2. The other depth of the drama is find him, track him, kill him. Does, the end. Does anybody else have a hard time like understanding like 9 out of 10 of the one-liners, though, too? Oh, I mean, yeah. I felt like Every there was so many one- where there was, like, just, like, people kind of grumbling and talking, and I was kind of like, all right. It made me realize that another aspect of getting old is that you can't talk worth shit because every, like, Stallone and Schwarzenegger have always had problems with, you know, the way that they talk and people understanding them. But for some reason, they were really bad in this movie. Like, Schwarzenegger, I was just giving it up. I just went with the flow of the vowels, and I, I got what he's saying. Cause oh, see, I thought Schwarzenegger like was, like, things. the easiest one to understand. Well, he'll, yeah, yeah, I thought he was lines. most improved. Yeah. But most Stallone... <laughs> Should have given out awards. <laughs> Stallone was <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Yeah, nobody's. Yes, yeah, Stallone is the most terrible thing. I mean, the only thing Stallone's done great is come up with this idea. Like, Stallone ruined the first film, and, you know, his writing is terrible. Like, that's what I'm saying. He's at the point of, like, walking self parody. The only difference between Nick Cage and Sylvester Stallone is that Nick Cage has gone on the internet and looked up all his crazy Nick Cage, you know, parody videos and been like, okay, well, I guess I'm this is where I am. And so he'll just do crazy Nick Cage because he knows <laughs> that's what it is. Stallone, I don't think, has looked up those internet videos or memes or any of that shit. He's he had to because he, he clearly looked up Chuck Norris's one because Chuck Norris gives a Chuck Norris fact. Well, yeah, let's yeah. talk about that. Let's talk about that. <laughs> Chuck Norris, <laughs> and this is what makes this movie great. Like as much, I'm with Ben. Ben put it the like ha, he captured my feeling the best. He said you and I. He was kind of banking off what I said, and I said, you know, you get older and you're a critic, but you can't help but enjoy this in this movie. And this is why this movie got a 3.5 out of for me because I had to admit that there are just things in this movie that I am not going to be able to see in any other movie, like ever, probably, like. Chuck Norris on screen cracking a Chuck Norris list joke. I don't know if I'll be able to see like see that in a big budget movie ever again. And it is fucking awesome. And you know, Willis and Schwarzenegger cracking on each other and stuff like that, as stupid as some of the lines are, it's just like moments that I was looking at where what makes the Expendables too great and why I'm categorizing this movie different is like it as a movie, it sucks. 
But as this experience that kind of completely pulls you out of the movie, and this is very meta experience, I thought it was fantastic. Like, it was just had these awesome moments that I'll never be able to replicate. And I had to, I had to give it up and be like, that was awesome. Okay, that was awesome. You know, seeing Willis and Schwarzenegger in a mini, in like a smart car with their gun faces on, like just randomly shooting up, like, what is it? Is that even an airport they're in or whatever? Yeah, I think yeah. it's an airport, yeah. Like, just yeah. the levels of just Die Hard 2 coming back, mixed with a little bit of Commando, and just, like, a bunch of shit. I was like, this is insane. Like, this is fucking awesome. And, yeah, as a movie, it's terrible. Like, it's one of the worst written movies ever. Like, it's it's almost like an exercise of how many action cliches can you hit on your way down from the fucking ugly tree. Like, this is what this movie is like, but like I said, these moments cannot be replicated, and I was watching this at like 1.30 in the morning after working an entire week, and I was not looking to be amused, but I had to give it up and be like, okay, well, this is pretty awesome, and it's just fun. Like, I was just like, okay, this is stupid, but this is fun. Any movie that just dropped Jet Li in China, like, I was just like, is this racist right now? <laughs> like, what is this? They're like, Jet Li, you can't be in this movie. We're going to drop you in China. <laughs> like, well, yeah, that, they couldn't get Jet Li. He wasn't even going to be in the film. Remember? They had somebody else cast, and then they managed to get him in for his one bit. So they gave him his action sequence, and they brought, knocked him out of the film pretty quick. And then this, But again, this is the parody levels. And again, what does he tell them? Oh, you're just going to go get another minority. And what do they do? They get... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, is there anything okay, else Okay, let's we talk need? about the next one. Uh, look, to Stallone's credit, sort of, uh, he does listen to feedback. Because I remember when Forrest Whitaker initially was offered the part in the first film, he couldn't do it. So they practically signed 50 Cent. And then the internet just exploded into uproar negativity. And then Stallone's like, okay, okay. And then they changed it, and then they brought in Terry Crews, who everyone loves from you know, the commercials and stuff, uh, which is smart. And the same thing happened with the next Rambo, where they were going to make it on that book Stallone bought the rights to. I think it's called The Savage Hunt. They would essentially have Rambo fighting this somewhat supernatural super soldier thingy in the forest and people were like that's stupid that's not rambo so he kind of cut that and now i'm saying for the next expendables it may be uh sci-fi elements to it they're also simon west is talking about you know having more female characters another team of female characters so i'm very curious with what uh they're going to do with the next film and and, and whether or not it's going to be good because the problem with this one is that it is getting good reviews like it's it's sitting very high. rotten tomatoes it's almost got a 70 it's got like 60 high 60s and that's very freaking good for rotten tomatoes especially for a film we can admit isn't well written isn't well acted you know doesn't have the greatest story but we love it for different reasons but i hope they can stallone can still find a way to to improve it in some way so it is a better action movie on its own as well spoiler alert he won't yeah, that's the shame of Wait, it all. Wait, so was, but, is Nicolas Cage actually attached to The Expendables 3? Is that they right? said he was attached. That was the report. And then they're talking to guys like Clint Eastwood and Harrison Ford and just craziness. Oh, and he wants, they said they offered a part to Steven Seagal as well, so who knows? Oh, my yeah. God. Oh, what the fuck? This, this is not your normal industry movie. Trade up on exclusives. This is like Stallone's t- throwing out his, you know, ideas to a bunch of actors and everyone listens. So it's a very odd film to, to kind of view in terms of casting and development. Yeah, uh, this is this is turning into True Blood. I'm off True Blood. I'm still with The Expendables. Yeah, me too. Well, what do we want to see? Like, what would we want? Is what improvements we want to see in a third one? Kofi, I mean, do you you just think they should kind of do this again, or do you want like are you like if they made it like a better movie, like a better, more unique story? With more unique like character Dude. arcs or something. Hold on. No. If they made no, hold no. on. Listen. If they made it that, 
would that detract from like what you think makes the movies good? I'm glad I held on for that. It changed my entire world. But yes, no. I think they should just know what they are and stick with it. This is, uh, this is like the retirement home for aging action stars. It's the last hurrah, but it's like getting together to play in you know a garage band when you're in your 50s and 60s. You should know you're never going to be a rock star. You're just doing it for the fuck of it and for the nostalgia, right? That's why you and all your little friends or the other dads get together and play in that little band, just so you can have... You know, a fleeting glimpse of your imagined glory, but you're not really going to do anything great. This is what The Expendables is to me. Um, as attractive as it first was, I mean, I think the evidence is clear after two movies that this the time has passed these guys. I mean, you just are dragging guys along like State or Statham along to give you authenticity because he can still put it down and create a great action movie. But like Stallone, Schwarzenegger... Uh, Willis is getting close to there. Lundgren, I mean, is a, I mean, his life is his head's in a totally different world than a lot of this, and even Jet Li to an extent. Um, like those guys are just their time is done. And if you don't believe me, just keep watching the trailers for all these movies that Stallone and Schwarzenegger have coming out that sounded so cool when we first heard about them. We all got excited. They're coming back. They're coming back. But you're gonna see, I think, after a very quickly after a couple films, that these guys had their day, and it was great. The memories were great, but we're all going to learn an important lesson, which is you can't just rip things out of time and hope to recycle them. I mean, that's something we're kind of, that cinema is going through growing pains right now, the idea that you can keep recycling certain things, and you're going to find out that, like, the, the shelf life on shit is, is finite in cinema. Like, people age, eras change, tastes change, and you can't go back. And... You know, I think for Expendables 3, just embrace the kitsch factor and don't go too over the top. You don't want to be machete because, you know, machete's doing this grindhouse thing. But just have fun with it and don't take yourself too seriously and just, you know, be crazy and blow shit up. I will say I'm with Ben. We should cancel it. <laughs> well, I'm not just because, like, you know what? We can shit all, all over this film as much as we want, but the idea of them talking to Harrison Ford and Clint Eastwood to bring them on screen as well for third film is like too good in and of itself to not want to see, even if it has the same problems as this one. So I'm with Kofi 100%. I would obviously love a better movie. I would love, well, how about this? Joe Carnahan, he's not doing Daredevil because Fox is seemingly dropping that. He wrote and directed Smoking Aces, The A Team, and Grey, three films I really, really dug. Two of which had amazing, amazing action. I would love for him, for him to like write and direct the next one instead of Simon West, and then it's him get to play with all these super seventies, eighties, nineties action stars. But uh, it's funny you say Kofi's is like their last hurrah because like this film is almost like a launch pad for resurging careers. Because like Stallone has got five films in development, Schwarzenegger's got five films in development, Lundgren, Adkins, and JCVD are all doing another Universal Soldier, and there's even rumors that Arnold Schwarzenegger could appear in another one after that. So it's like. This is not just like the end. This is like a whole. There's going to be a ton more of these crappy movies out there. It's a movement. Yeah. It's a big movement, all right. Big number two. But like I said, Hollywood's going through the growing pains of, like, on a, on a larger sense. I mean, all of Hollywood's going through this growing pain of the idea that you can keep recycling shit. And you're going to learn very quickly, like I said, that you can't. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, maybe the third one will be the one that. 
will sort of make or break this thing. Like, you know. Oh, yeah, expendables in space. Wouldn't that be something else? Or them fighting predators and stuff. <laughs> Jesus. Expendable versus predator. And it needs to be blown up. Why not? I would, I would see it. It's ridiculous, but yeah. I, I would totally see that, man. The expendables versus anything. As always, we enjoy hearing from our listeners and Screen Rant readers, so if you want to get in touch with us, send an email to underground at screenrant.com or leave a message on the Screen Rant Underground voicemail line at 323-522-5455 with any responses you might have to tonight's discussion, as well as questions, comments, feedback, or even topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter. I am at Ben Kendrick. That's B-E-N-K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K. And you can follow me at Rob underscore Keys. That's K-E-Y-E-S. You can follow me at Anthony Ocasio. And you can follow me, Kofi Outlaw, at twitter.com backslash D-O-L-P-H underscore F-A-N-S. Also, subscribe to the Screen Rant Underground in iTunes so you never miss an episode. And if you're feeling especially generous, give us a positive rating and or leave a hopefully flattering review. Or if you're better in person, encourage a friend, family member, or random movie lover on the street to check us out. Last but certainly not least... Feel free to continue our discussion with the Screen Rant community by commenting on our reviews, editorials, and news coverage on the site. That'll do it for this week's episode, but if you're a gamer, stick around another two minutes for the Game Rant News Brief, where we do a quick rundown of all the exciting content coming to our sister site, GameRant.com, in the coming week. Game Rant Editor and Chief Rob Keys. <laughs> big intro. Uh, it's okay because it's a big week for video games. Finally, we have some major titles coming out and some good ones to boot. So, uh, along with Expendables 2 film, we had the Expendables 2 video game come out last week. It's terrible, but you can read a one-star review on Game Rant along with some better reviews for some big titles in Darksiders 2 and Sleeping Dogs. Both games we gave 4.5 out of 5 to. Other big releases include uh, Dust and Elysian Tale, which is a very cool, beautifully animated game on uh, the Xbox Live Arcade. On Nintendo, we got new Super Mario Bros. 2. You can read the review of that. And uh, the big game coming out this week that Ben wrote up about a pretty cool trailer is Transformers Fall of Cybertron. It's a game both of us have been looking forward to for a very long time because of its amazing trailers and the Dinobots. Um, so yeah, lots of big games coming out. All, all of those reviews except for Transformers are up right now. Transformers may be up later on this week. On the news front, um, lots of stuff, so I'll just make some highlights. Uh, there's some controversy around two EA titles, uh, Battlefield 3 and the new Command & Conquer, which we're learning now is going to be an online-only free-to-play title with no single-player single campaign. It's not even going to be called Generals 2. It's just Command & Conquer, free-to-play. So we, there's still a lot of question marks around that, but it's uh, not the best news for longtime fans of the series. Also, uh, more controversy and some good news for Diablo 3. And other just cool news you should check out is there's finally some new screenshots and news around Grand Theft Auto 5. These very, very cool screenshots showing some very cool vehicles. Uh, and some interesting news about Fallout 4 and Dragon Age 3, and perhaps some bad news about Prey 2, a game we loved at E3 last year from Bethesda. So, for all of your news and reviews, head to GameRant.com. That's it for the Game Rant News Brief. A big thank you for listening to episode 53 of the Screen Rant Underground. We'll be back next week. Woo!